Welcome, everyone, to an all-new episode of the Comic Multiverse, where the worlds of nerd meet. As always, I am your host, Joel. You're watching this on the Cape Joel channel. Maybe you're watching it over on Podbean, which you can do now. You can download. Or if you're a patron, if you actually give money to the show because you want to support what we're doing here, then you get to listen to it first uh, out of anyone. I'll be uploading it like as soon as we're done on Monday. So, you know, that's always a thing. Uh, usually, this is the point in the show where I would throw stuff over to my co-host, Matt. Unfortunately, he is not here today. He is off doing Australian things, fighting his way down the Fury Road, trying to get water and whatever it is they do. I, I think that's what he was doing. Maybe that or TV production, but I'm pretty sure it's Fury Road. Now, uh, I was lucky enough to get a very wonderful guest for the show this week. Uh, you may have seen her over on The Pull this week in comics if you watch that show over on the Comic TV YouTube channel, which you should because we're really building that show up into something. That guest is uh, That Sea Monster, and she's with me right now. Say hi to everyone. Hey, buddies. She's a, she's waving. You can't see it. She's she, she's a very interesting guest. Where she's like, no no no, let's have our cameras on when we do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna fight you on it. Where meanwhile, it's just me and Matt. It's super early for him when we do this. It's super late for me. It's like, yeah yeah, whatever. Let's talk about the comics. We're in our pajamas, guys. It's true. She uh, now you speaking of pajamas. You actually have a show over on I your think- channel that involves uh, late start hours and pajamas. Tell the people about that. Yes, uh, I have a live show that airs at 12 a.m. Central or 1 a.m. Eastern Time, for those of you on the East Coast, and it is called Bedtime Stories. It's a late-night talk show where we wear our pajamas, and we talk about comic books and pop culture, and I throw free shit at you just for talking to me. It's great. It satisfies my loneliness. Hopefully, it can satisfy yours, too, but not in a creepy way, because I'm not into that. (laughs) It's basically like a virtual slumber party. It's, yeah. it's great for someone like me who is afflicted with insomnia and is up till 4 a.m. anyway working on videos for all the good people listening to the show right now. So it's the perfect program for me to throw on in the background while I work. So thank you for that. No worries. I started it because I, too, am a total night owl and insomniac. And I was like, it's 12 a.m. I'll just live cast. Yeah, I think I surprised you when I actually showed up in a, in the comment section in one of the episodes. Where I was like, oh, hey, Joel, you're up, too. And I'm like, Joel never sleeps. Never. <laughs> Joel, Joel stalks the night. It's true. I, I need it. it is the, I need the forgiving cover of night is what I need. Don't we all? Well, until that plastic surgery comes through for me, I know I need it. Dumb tish. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, uh, we're actually not yet. You know, we're going to do as we always do. I uh, always take this chance for us to talk about our weeks. I don't know about you. It was Father's Day this week, so I actually got to hang out with my dad. Uh, we were supposed to actually, you know, uh, like go to a fancy restaurant and have some food. <laughs> lunch yeah but then but then we came back from the pool and he's like i bet you can't eat four hot dogs with everything i'm like you are on old man and that's and that's what we did and then after that we never ended up going to dinner but it was still really nice what about yourself that sounds like a pretty accurate father's day like if you could have a hallmark stereotypical father's day it would be that that one right there hey i'll sell that one to hallmark when we're done they can make a lifetime movie out of it i unfortunately didn't get to hang out with my dad because he's He's out gallivanting across the world of sports. He's oh, really? a yeah, he's a sports broadcaster. His oh, name is Bill McAtee. I'm Caitlin McAtee. He is kind of like the ultimate jock dad, and he had the ultimate nerd child. So, 
Well, you and I have a lot in common. My dad's like blue collar tradesperson, salt to the earth. You know, works with his hands even to this day. And it's like, what's your son do? Ah, he talks on the internet. He bitches about the Spiderman and the Batman, and people give him money for some reason. <laughs> That's very well. I mean, my dad's not very salt of the earth. We call him man of the people. I'm a little bit more down to earth than he is. Nice. Like he refuses to wait in lines. <laughs> no. <laughs> he at his favorite restaurant, they made a plaque for his table. Oh, like wow. it is the most, and it's the most ridiculous plaque. Like I live this super normal life. He's always encouraged me to be really independent. Like, get everything on my own. Like, I don't, we don't really talk about, like, who he is or what he does that much. And then we go to this restaurant, and he has this beautiful plaque that's made of glass and that oh, sits wow. on one of those colorful rotatey things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that changes, that, like, reflects through the glass prism, and it has his name on it. That's awesome. He's, and we we joke, we call him a man of the people. <laughs> I hope I one day reach that level of fame that I can have a plaque at my favorite eating place. I would feel like I, we make this really big joke about the fact that I'm fame adjacent. <laughs> fame adjacent. <laughs> I'm like, and that's like, it carries over even into my own career when people hire me to go to conventions and do stand up. But they won't let me into my own panels. You told that story before that, you know, there was a roast you were hosting and you weren't allowed in. I was the roastee. Oh. The roast was about me. It had my name on it. It was like roast of Caitlin T. McAtee, that sea monster, winner, Anime Expo 2014. And there were like 500 people there. And I was like, no, I'm... That's my name. Name is there. And they were like, ma'am, I'm really sorry, but you can't get in without your little ticket ribbon. And I was like, are you you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Man, you must have thought they were roasting you really early where it's like, man, this is so in-depth. They're roasting me at the door by saying I'm a nobody and not letting me in. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. Like, all the regulars got in totally fine. And I was like, what I, what I, uh, God damn it I, I do the thing it happens it happens when i go to events with my dad so like at like the u.s open you know for those of you who like tennis and are also listening to a nerd podcast hi <laughs> i know you would be surprised i mean I, I like to think the comic multiverse i like to think we cast a large net over a wide variety of people there was one guy who i was on a podcast or on a cast with and he was like a huge fan of the masters for golf and all oh, of that no. and i was like oh hey and he was like oh hi that's you like, <laughs> that's funny finally my adjacency is paying off but i was at a i was at a tennis event and i you know i was at this really nice white party in france for roland yaros it's the french open oh, i'm wow. hob i'm hobnobbing around i clearly don't belong i have like my my giant head of purple hair nice. and, I'm, and i'm just bubbling about being like so what have you i went to comic con recently <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, I I just got back from a from a business trip as the ambassador of Italy, and I was like, cool, that's neat. I just and did a bunch of you? I just did a bunch of cocaine in Dubai. Yeah, basically, there was this one girl who was like, I'm a new emerging author, and I just got an apartment in London with my boyfriend. It is I've never written a word before, but I have been published, and oh, I was. Nespa. 
And she was like, and who are you? Like, why are you here at this white party in the dungeon where Marie Antoinette was kept, where we had this amazing DJ and very fun food? And I was like, I'm Caitlin. Hello. She was like, oh, Caitlin, I think I've heard of you. Caitlin who? Caitlin McAtee. I rode some coattails here. I'm here. I wore white to the white party. As is tradition, as is you're supposed to do. Unlike what you might think, I did not wander in off the street. Please don't have me escorted out like before. <laughs> that would be, you know, not good. So yeah, what when we're I trying get to say trouble, is... I just like point. I'm like, that's my my dad. He's over there. I I belong. <laughs> so what we're trying to say is, we had really active weekends. I did Father's Day stuff, and I also. Caught up on Orange is the New Black. Haven't watched it all yet. I've been busy, but I know you have, too. We were talking about this a little before we started, and I think we can all agree. Season 4 eats Season three's lunch. Everything eats Season 3 lunch. Season 3 was crap. It was very unfortunate. Like, I, I, I tried to lie to myself at the end of Season 3. I'm like, no, no, it's 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 different, but it's it's still good. It's got... It it really was, and, and, and like in the first couple minutes of season four, do you really see the problem? Because it picks up so organically where last yes. season left off, and you're like, were these just scripts you had waiting around, but you didn't want to burn through them too quick, so you just stretched out season three for as that's much as what, it was worth? That's what I think happened, because there were parts of season three that were really, really good, and then it meandered just aimlessly, like, you know, me in a Target when I was five. Mm. Like, it just, it had no direction, and it couldn't find the checkout, and then it randomly started crying. Yeah, because there was stuff that it set up to where it's like, hey, the prison, you know, was getting taken over by a heartless prison corporation. What's going to happen with that? That was really interesting. It was, but then at the end, it's like, what became of a, nothing really, until season four when the shit really hits the fan. Shit, oh my gosh. When, uh, when Lollipop got taken to, when, uh, when Lolly got taken to Psych, I just... Have you finished it? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. That's okay. I figured it was going to go that way anyway. This is not the Orange is the New Black spoiler cast, everyone. That's next week. (laughs) But yeah, but you know, now that you've brought up Lolly, how awesome is it that that's Lori Petty, that that's freaking Tank Girl. And also... Livewire on Superman. Oh, hell yeah. So Tank Girl is seeing a huge resurgence. I'm seeing her in everything. Gotham, um... Gotham, Orange is the New Black, she's Livewire, and the Tank Girl comics have started That's again. super awesome. I think she's so cool, Lori Petty. I I have purchased, like, three of the variants already. I got my hands on Mickey Mouse ears. I got my hands on the Ghost variant, which is awesome. Ghost variants are tricky to get. They're the variants that kind of shop. It's when they're in the middle of shopping from publisher to publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, just for those of you who are not super into variant hoarding like I am, I'm basically a variant dragon. But for, uh, yeah, so ghost variants get shopped from publisher to publisher, and they're a little bit tricky to get your hands on. And if you can get your hands on the right ghost variant, it can actually be worth quite a lot or be really difficult to find. So getting your hands on them, like, and I think especially for Tank Girl... Just because even finding some of the original run is difficult and a little bit expensive. It's, it's, It's obscure. It's hard to find. Yeah, it's a little, I feel like it's a little bit like Lady Mechanica used to be. She's mm-hmm. gaining a lot of popularity, so I don't think it's so much like that anymore. But for Lady Mechanica, it used to be so difficult to get your hands on the variants, and the people who are into it are super into Lady mm-hmm. Mechanica. So the variants go for quite a lot, at least the older runs that had very few printings. Yeah. 
So yeah, Orange is the New Black Season 4. Great shows back on track. It's funny. Uh, did, did you ever watch Weeds, the show that Genji Cohen did before this? Yes, I've seen Weeds. It's it's funny because I was worried, and yet it, and I was kind of right but kind of wrong at the same time too. It's like I think Orange is the New Black is on a very similar trajectory as Weeds is in the way where it's like okay, you started as like a dark comedy. And now it's getting darker and less funny. It's still funny, but everything's become so much more serious now. Even the funny stuff isn't laugh out loud funny anymore. Yeah, um, I feel like dark comedy walks that line between funny, haha, this is like absurd but really fucked up, mm. and too real. And walking that line doing a dark comedy is really difficult because oh, yeah, falling yeah. into too real is so easy. But I feel like with season four, it's too realness has become very poignant. Oh yeah. It's relying very heavily on that darkness and that raw sort of material and then playing off of a lot of our cultural subconscious as oh, well. Definitely. There's a there's, there's a whole there's a whole arc this season with a, one of the girls who converted to Judaism last uh, season yes. ha- having a Muslim bunkmate and the two of them kind of having like a microcosm of the Middle East uh, issue in Israel. It's really funny to see that play out. They, uh, I, I like it when they band together and start hating on Scientology and then they get along really well. <laughs> yep, there you go. See, that's that's all we need. We can all agree Scientology is terrible. Tom, Tom Cruise is a weird... Man, did you see that HBO documentary going clear on uh, Scientology? Scientology. I did not see that. You you gotta hunt it down. Is, it, it's terrifying. Is it fucked up? Oh, it's terrifying. It like literally, it, it's scary. It's a horror movie starring Tom Cruise. It's the best horror movie he's ever been in. I'm I'm a I'm a see that. It's good. Man, HBO had like two great documentaries uh, in one year. They had that. Then they had the montage of Heck Kurt Cobain documentary where they actually got a bunch of recordings of him. That was very good. That probably one the best one. Well yeah. No, it, that was a really good one. It's as close as you're going to get to actually sitting down with him because it's a lot of his own writings and recordings. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really good and giving him a voice like that mm. was excellent. And it, the fact that it pulled so heavy from source material, Ooh. I feel like that's rare for documentaries a lot of times. Because documentaries tend to lean in really heavy biases. Oh yeah, it's like we want to show you a version of the person, but maybe not the real person. I know that was always a big deal I had with uh, with like those biopics they did of like uh, of like Public Enemy or even like the Notorious B.I.G. Where it's like, oh yeah, but their but their mothers and best friends were producers on. It's like, oh, so we got the cleaned up version. We didn't get the real version of who these people were. Yeah, and it's and it's always very because mm, we want the realness, please. We, we want the least- dirty dirt. It's always really easy to see, too, when they're leaning in those very stark biases. Yeah, most definitely. And, uh, and that, everyone, is the, is the documentary portion of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to come back next time. We, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Documentaries on NPR. Next Don't forget to call our personal line to donate for a free coffee mug and tote bag. Mm, next uh, next week, we'll be talking about the new Michael Moore one. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Michael Moore. <laughs> and on that note, let's get to the actual comic news because I'm sure people they are like. Wanted, they want to talk about the comics. <laughs> people are like, are, are they ever going to talk about comics? Yes, people, we're going to talk about comics. And in fact, uh, there's actually a fair amount of news to go through this week. Wait, Perhaps- we're, not, we're not talking about Oranges and the New Weeds anymore. <laughs> Oranges and the New Weeds. There's the <laughs> spinoff right there. The two characters from the two shows have to meet each other and work together on something. Yes. That's the crossover <laughs> shared universe. 
Uh, Orange is the new Tank Girl. That's what I want to oh, see. Oh, I would watch the hell out of that. Tank, Tank Girl is like Lolly's schizophrenic fever dream. Oh my god, that's. Pitch- I would watch the shit out of that. That's look, actually been my fan conspiracy theory. Look, look, Laura Petty talks to people on Twitter. Pitch her that idea right now. I'm sure she'll get someone behind that. <laughs> that will be a thing. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I do am. it so hard. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, one of the more interesting uh, news pieces for anyone who follows James Gunn out there, and you absolutely should because he's a cool dude to follow on Twitter and social media, uh, he basically did a live little video thing from the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. They've wrapped principal photography. He was kind of patting everyone on the back. It was a really nice moment. And then the big reveal is, hey, everyone, we're going to be going to Comic-Con this year, which... Uh, on one hand, it's like, well, that's not really a surprise. It kind of is, though, ever since Disney and Marvel have their D20 summit they have now. D23! Yeah, D23. It was getting, I love D23. It's cool. It's like It was getting weird there for a second. It's like, well, will Marvel ever show up to Comic-Con again if they have basically their own venue? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that was kind of... Hmm, I didn't even think about that, actually. Because uh, it seemed like all the. Because I love D23, so to me, it's just like it all blurs together, and I'm like, all oh, the things I love are all in the same places. Yeah, our, our guest, for those of you who don't know, is a huge con person, goes to more than I could ever hope to. So, I mean, you, you probably have an interesting insight on this, right? Yeah, um, I, I do go to a lot of conventions. I'm very lucky in that I do get hired by some conventions, so I do get to travel uh, for some of them, and then some of them I'm like, I will just pay because I really want to go. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, development and design does lend you to uh, some fortunate things. But with D23, it's uh, it's been Marvel-tastic over at D23. <laughs> because why shouldn't it be? It's like, hey, we got all this great footage we want to show you. And I feel like it gets better and more extravagant. In true Disney fashion, it gets better and more extravagant every year. And it really does in some ways because they have the Marvel powerhouses give Comic-Con a run for its money. Mm. And Disney in general tends to be very strict with its appearances and licensing. So mm. it is a huge surprise that Marvel has been released to go to Comic-Con. But it's a very smart move for Disney to allow them to do that. Just because they need to stay rooted in their origins. And Comic-Con is really one of the first conventions to sort of gain that. It's one of the more historical conventions. Especially now, too, when it seems to have almost. Yeah, it's a very anchored industry convention. Mm, oh yeah, almost to the point where some would complain about that. Some people would be like, "Man, back in my day, San Diego Comic Con was about the comics, man. Not like today." San Diego Comic Con has always had the has always had an industry component, though. Like when you think about a lot of the old school kind of panels where you could go in and you could have your portfolio reviewed, mm, or you could cool go stuff. in and take classes, or artists, you know, artists and writers would lead panels and things like that. You know, you you had a really strong industry component to San Diego Comic-Con always, especially with how close it is to Los Angeles. It was very convenient, and it's always been very convenient for bigger names and sci-fi fantasy stars that are already based out of L.A. to visit San Diego Comic-Con and do a lot of the California appearances. Which is most of them. Yes, which is most of them. What's what's and, really cool about this James Gunn Guardians thing is that if people remember back when the first Guardians of the Galaxy came out, they had only been working on that movie for a little yeah. bit, and James Gunn had a sizable chunk 
to show people. And so I can only imagine if they've already wrapped, he's going to be showing something very crazy. And he even said, Ooh, I'm going to blow your mind when you come see this. I, I cannot wait. Unfortunately, I'm not going to San Diego comic-con this year, even though I'm so jealous and sad about it. Don't worry. Everything will leak out in grainy cell phone videos. It's fine. Oh, yay. Grainy cell phone videos. I mean, it's better than nothing. But (laughs) What's, what's even better than the grainy cell phone videos is the people who couldn't put the grainy cell phone videos up, so they had articles and videos describing the grainy cell phone videos. Yes, that is magical. Or the people who couldn't figure out how to rotate their gro- grainy cell phone video, mm. and so it's in that weird, like, diagonal verticalness. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my favorite type of bootleg. I think I saw the entirety of X-Men Origins that way. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's that's a famous one when X-Men Origins yeah. Wolverine leaked out in an unfinished cut. I, I watched that, and then I didn't go see the actual movie because I was like, even, even though there are parts of it that are only CG with no sound, I can tell this is going to be really shitty. Yeah, n- n- no amount of editing magic could bring this turd to life. Just, just like X Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that, you you, you would have loved was, our Apocalypse uh, spoiler cast when we talked about it. That was difficult. I wish I had been there. I was actually seeing the movie that evening. Like I was about to walk out the door to go see the movie when Benny was like, "Yo, you there? You want to like get in on this?" Hop and I was on like, this. "God fucking damn." What a what a big pile of nothing that movie ended up being. There was an apology before the movie. There, I mean, when when Storm came on and she was like, "So we worked really hard on the movie." <laughs> um, it, it's like when the kindergarten teacher comes out right before you're about to watch, you know, your five year old go on stage and be like, "The little butterfly ballerinas worked really hard for uh, uh-huh. a whole month and a half on." The- <laughs> So thank you, parents, for coming and sitting through this horrible brain-rotting monstrosity of your own child's performance. Okay, enjoy. Like that was that was when Storm like walked out and was like, everybody worked really hard on it. I really should have taken the Deadpool role, but my agent said be the hero. Fuck that guy. <laughs> it's that, that, that was another small piece of news today. Like, the numbers were officially tabulated and everything, and yeah, X-Men Apocalypse fell far short of Deadpool's gross. I felt so bad for her. I was like, she could have, I mean, even though she would have been the love interest, she would have had a much more successful movie. And a more substantial part, too. Yeah, and a bigger part, because in X-Men Apocalypse, Storm was like, Hi, I'm Storm. Oh, I have white hair now. And a mohawk, like you've all been asking. Oh, look, it's, my mohawk is here. I'm very edgy. And I fly. Yep. Bye. <laughs> like, the actress was really good, too, which was a shame. Like, she totally. was... Her, she wasn't phoning it in. You could tell like she was... Like Berry. Into it. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't phoning it in like Halle Berry or J-Law. J-Law phoned it the she, she fell asleep halfway through Days of Future Past and never woke up during Apocalypse. Nope, and and she she woke up at the end of the Apocalypse and was like, "Oh, is my check here?" It was like falling asleep at work on a Friday, <laughs> which we've all done. Like she got her check at three and then she left. Like that was. I, I, I like to imagine Singer being like, "Hey, hey, hey, Jayla, you gonna you gonna wake up for this scene here at all?" And then she just pulls out like her Academy Award. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. Mm. 
too, too no. good for this now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think it was that she was too good for it. I think she read the script and was like, oh, God, no, fuck this. This is going to kill my career. <laughs> Look, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on screen, but it's not going to be acting. I can tell uh, you that much. Unless you get some people who know what show don't tell means, then we don't have a deal. And it's such a shame, too, because it's like, you know, I, I genuinely really love First Class. I hold First Class up as probably my favorite good. of the X-Men ones because they actually wear their costumes. It's, and it's, it's not about Wolverine. It's the best one. And Hugh Jackman is getting older, and you can't keep fucking up Wolverine like this. Okay, that's, we don't have that many years of a good Wolverine that's, left. That's why the next one's going to be Old Man Logan, is what it's going to be, because he's Old Man I, Jackman now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of hoping that Disney can just buy Wolverine and make an Old Man Logan. Yeah, beautiful. I mean... I mean, could you just change it to Old Man Logan and just only allude to his past as Wolverine and get around the licensing issue? Because I think with shenanigany, expert, mouse-tacular legalese, mm-hmm. you totally could. I think I think what they're going to do with Old Man Logan is like, okay, we can't have Mysterio, but uh, Mastermind's basically the same. So Mastermind did it. I- I'm sorry that I brought it back to the diuretic fever dream that is X-Men Apocalypse. Um, I know we should be talking about more recent stuff. Yeah, yeah, we had other news, but whatever. Hey, th- this we is... We had other news, but this was shitty. This is th- <laughs> this is what's cool about having a guest. People like to hear you and understand where you're coming from and everything. That's why I knew you'd be a good fit. But uh, the, the next piece of news is going to be a good little bit for us to, you know, rake, a, rake an old German man across the coals, and that is Roland Emmerich says that oh. Marvel movies are silly in an interview. Well, you know what else is silly? Bratwurst and Lederhosen. Okay, that's silly too. <laughs> well, don't fuck yourself. You like know, I don't, I don't. It's it's like it's the like the person on Facebook. Okay, we all know this person on Facebook, right? You post something that you did recently. So let's say let's say you went to Harry Potter, Harry right? Potter. Let's say you went to Universal Studios Harry Potter World, and you took a bunch oh, of pictures. Sounds, you had a great time, and you were like, "Oh my god, drinking butterbeer at Harry oh. Potter World with Bay. Have so much fun!" Uh, you know, exclamation point, weird emoji, dollar sign, like. Okay, so you did that, and then somebody on Facebook comments, I didn't really like the Harry Potter books. I thought they were dumb. Like, okay, that's great. You don't like it? Get the fuck off my feed, you basic fuck. Like, just, Jesus. It's it's like, I think superhero movies are silly. And I'm like, well, the $100 billion industry thinks it doesn't. It's not. Or maybe they think it's silly, but they like it anyway. No one cares about your stupid German opinion. You know what? You know what I thought was silly, Roland Emmerich, Godzilla. Your, yeah, your, Godzilla your was of... Godzilla was real fucking silly, Emmerich. That CG ass dinosaur and that horrible "I'm eating you" scene was real fucking dumb, Emmerich. You couldn't invest in some actual devs, Emmerich. You couldn't invest in a decent art team, Emmerich. Where did your models come from? Did they come from the store? Did you make them at Color Me Mine, Emmerich? Is that where your models came from? Man, fuck you, Emmerich. Every movie you made is a piece of silly. Remember, Emmerich, when you hired, like, half the cast of The Simpsons to be in your Godzilla movie? (laughs) Yeah, remember that? Remember when somebody accidentally said dough off screen and the camera kind of picked it up? You fucking remember that, Emmerich? Remember when you made the mayors of uh, New York in that movie uh, thinly veiled jabs at uh, Siskel and Ebert for some reason because you're so insecure. No, because you're salty, Emmerich. 
You're salty, and you're not salty in the good way. You're wearing your little yellow rain boots and your little yellow fucking raincoat, and you're dancing around in a fucking salt mine, Emmerich. Just fucking stop it. Why don't you eat a goddamn Snickers, okay? It's even funnier is because when you listen to his interview, it's clear he's never actually seen any of these Marvel movies. Because he's like, you know, in my movies, no, it's, it's always the average man who becomes the hero. It's always the everyman, but, you know, in all these superhero movies, yeah, you know, so much su- better than that. You, you know, superhero movies, the everyman never becomes a hero in any comic. Only, like, every time. <laughs> so dumb. Like, remember remember when uh, Spider-Man was, like, always Spider-Man and he was born a freakish child and was and was taken in and became... Not every superhero comic is the goddamn X-Men, okay? Just about <laughs> everything. And even then, like, Cyclops didn't even get his laser beams until fucking puberty. It's so... And, and, so, and he hit his head on a rock so he couldn't work him no more. Yeah. <laughs> he fell out of a plane and hit him on a rock. Cyclops' whole story is stupid all the time. I know it is. And then I was in an <laughs> orphanage that was run by Mr. Sinister, but my brother got to go to Hawaii and have fun times. Like, what? Yep. Just, what? There was a, not to bring it back to Apocalypse, everyone, but there was a moment in that movie where it's like, ooh, ooh, we have young Apocalypse and his brother. Well, maybe they're going to finally tell the story about the plane crash and all the other stuff. And then the movie's like, no, no, his parents you know, are fine. Instead, Magneto's going to blow up Auschwitz because that's reasonable. That felt very, I mentioned this with Matt. That, that felt, felt wrong. That felt icky. To do like in a big popcorn summer blockbuster, it's like we're gonna destroy Auschwitz. Where it's like, yeah, bad stuff happens. There's a lot of emotions tied up in that. I don't think you can I, just destroy it. Like even though I'm an American and I know I should feel good <laughs> all the about time about everything, all the time about everything, including my gross ignorance. Like even though that is a thing, I kind of felt it in the white guilt a little bit. Like it, it kind of just it kind of just got in there. It got into like my privilegedness and was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, look at how horrible this is, and look at what we're going to do in our privileged ignorance about this." Hilariously, we're going to destroy it. And I was like, "Oh, that's mm, I, I'm not I'm not the most sensitive person, but that." That seems bad. Feels that seems wrong. wrong. Hilariously, as we are talking about like, Roland. I wanted to, oh, I'm sorry. I kept interrupting you, but I, I just, I kind of wanted to protest the movie. <laughs> At that point. <laughs> well, hilariously, as we're talking about Roland Emmerich, the king of disaster porn, the king of blowing up, uh, you know, monuments all over the world and all of his movies, even he didn't have, like, the brass cojones to be like, hey, let's, if for the new Independence Day, let's blow up Auschwitz. <laughs> He didn't even, he didn't even blow up, he didn't even, like, let's blow up the two towers at any point. No, not even like, the Godzilla one. super edgy. He didn't even do that. And that's not even on the scale of Auschwitz. Like, I know both are horrifying tragedies that never, ever should have happened. But when we're looking in the grand scheme of things on a scale. Oh, totally. You know like, what? like not even the same scale. You know what's another icky in, uh, icky in like looking back on it in hindsight, twenty twenty. Just call them ickies. Icky, but yeah, not, like, these moments, just like <laughs> you know, it's another ickies. But yeah, looking if if you ever go back and watch that Godzilla movie, which you shouldn't. I watched it for a comedy riff. There's a moment in that movie where they say, you know, uh, Godzilla attack, the worst attack in American history since the Twin Tower bombings, and I'm like. Oh, uh, uh, so he got close. He did. He got, without even knowing it, he got close. He got close. close. He got close. I mean, not like he'd give a fuck because he has no scope outside of his own ego. But he got real close. Very close. <laughs> Just comic book movies are silly. And I'm like, 
What you you make you made monster movie like you officially cannot say that's stu- you can't. It's well, it's even funnier because he follows it up by saying, "I don't know, I'm German," to which is like, yeah, because being German obviously means you don't get superheroes. And then the site that I got this off of, the Outhouser, they finished yeah. off at the end by showing that great cover of Captain America punching Hitler. Where it's like, yeah, maybe he wouldn't. <laughs> That's great. The Outhouser is great. The Outhouser started as like a joke website is like, you know, oh, how many days since DC is screwed up? And they have since become like an actual force in comic book criticism and journalism. And I think that's I so cool. I need to read them all the time now. They're, they're super funny. Yeah. I, I, I probably read them at some point, just, just come across them and not really notice. Because I'll click on random things and I won't really notice where they come from unless it's something, unless it's one of those like big content sweat houses like mm. HuffPost or BuzzFeed mm. and they're basically content sweatshops they don't pay <laughs> they don't pay people for their content and they just recycle like churned out piece of shit clickbait so it's you know 10 reasons that you might not know but should want to know I've thought of writing one of those for exposure I'm like man it would be real easy but then I'd be contributing to the destruction of my industry so maybe I yeah. should Now, uh, from movies back to comics for a second, there was actually two real big pieces of comic news this week. The first is uh, the next big Bat Family event of DC Rebirth uh, has a name. It has a thing. It's going to be running through all the Bat Family books, and it's going to be called Night of the Monster Man. So is this because Gotham by Midnight has been doing well? (laughs) I'm actually... I actually like like Gotham by Midnight's not that bad. That, that, That book's been canceled for a while. You know that. Has it? Oh God, yes! That one's been oh, canceled shit. for months. Is it really? Oh God, you do my my co-host, my regular co-host Matt loved that book and sang its praises there for the longest time. It's been gone for months. See, see, I was incubated. Like I, it didn't show up in my box, but neither did a bunch of stuff from Snyder. So mm. I was like, maybe it on hiatus, like because that's automatically I automatically think of the best thing. I really liked it. A lot of people, I will talk to about it really really were in love with it it's a cult book yeah for like sure. there were there were a ton of people on forums and shit being like holy shit did you read gotham by midnight and i was like man it's doing pretty well i'm doing pretty well no apparently not apparently no. i'm just a big fucking idiot no, not only is, has it been dead for a while but i can bet you dollars to donuts it wouldn't have survived the dcu purge oh no it definitely wouldn't have I, I don't think it would have Is it, ever- Isn't that sad that a bunch of books that probably should have stuck around, like Midnighter and other stuff, are just like, no, Midnight no, throw it to the... It's, it's basically just like, hey, DCU, there's a book for anyone out there, regardless of your gender orientation or race. Then DC Rebirth, did we say there was a book for everyone? What we mean is... No. What we mean what is we, no. What we mean is life isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, what we what we mean is we need to get back to how we were doing things 20 years ago is what we need to do. Yeah, yeah we've kind of forgot. Sorry. <laughs> we, we, we got too hip and trendy, everybody. But uh, the Monster Man, of course, for those of you who know your DC lore and your DC yeah. history, were the villains created by Hugo Strange in the very yes. first Batman comic, which, the, which no, not Detective Comics, the first nope. Batman comic. They were the first villains they fought, and this is going to be a big book I tying everything together. Love. So Hugo Strange is probably one of my all-time favorite villains. He's interesting I, and underutilized. He really is. He's an amazing villain. He's very complex, and he's just... He's evil in the best ways possible, and he's such a classic mad scientist oh, without being a, 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 a archetypical, yeah. 
Yeah, he's an archetypical mad scientist, but without being a raving lunatic, which, considering 80% of Arkham, is really nice to have a very sane, level-headed, mad scientist. Like, not even mad. It's just a sane, Mm level-headed villain who's just evil because. Oh, yeah. He's completely within his mental faculties, and I like that. It's very... It's rare to find in writing, and it's especially rare in the Batman universe where they're really into armchair psychology. Oh, God, yeah. So, so I... Arkham chair psychology, as I like to call it. <laughs> especially. So I, I particularly like Hugo Strange in that he's so unusual for his universe and then in general. And he you know, plays off the mad scientist tropes, and then all of his creations are horrifying it's true and you know it's like if ever you need to justify a horrible monster or like some crazy psychology experiment with batman you just turn around and go oh well hugo strange did it and then everyone accepts it well that's why i've been actually liking this season of gotham i know saying i like gotham is horrifying um most it's it's like saying i like getting slapped in the face where it's like really that's okay i'm not gonna look at you the same way again but all right i think part of it's because i tend to separate the comics and the animated universe and the video game universe Mm. from the tv shows i i I stuck with gotham longer than anyone i knew i stuck with it for like a season and a half and then like you know when they showed mr freeze and all the people in tubes i'm like I'm done. I'm dealing out now. They, they tied it all into a Hugo Strange plot. That's, which, that's fine. That's cool, I guess. Which actually, when they got to the Hugo Strange plot, I felt they did a really good job. And then with the Azrael plot, they they actually, I feel they did that pretty well, considering that Azrael is very difficult material to work with. And, and he's neither John Paul Valley Sr. or Jr. He's that, uh, th- that other dude, that <laughs> yeah. not Court of Owls cultist guy. Yeah, everybody was like, Court of Owls. But they're, they're tying in Court of Owls to the Hugo I Strange. I know. Someone, someone sent that to me. It's like, Joel, Joel, look what they're doing now. And I'm like, Ugh. They're tying, yeah, they're tying Court of Owls to the Hugo Strange plot. They're doing what DC usually does with its uh, TV superhero shows, which maybe that's why I have a bigger tolerance for it. They want to cram all of this information. So they want to cram trade upon trade upon trade mm-hmm. over the last, like... 75 plus years years in some cases plus years into a few seasons and you can't do it it's like uh it's like the same problem that the spider-man movies had mm. you know they want to they wanted to do a venom movie and they wanted to do a sandman movie and they wanted to do a you know a doc ock movie and they wanted to do a green goblin movie but they just wind up stuffing as many fucking villains into one movie as oh, they yeah. possibly can and it never works DC is the same way about its information and about its villain. You, you villains, you have so many pools to pick from in regards to villains, especially with the Batman universe. And they try to do too many at the same time. And honestly, the difficult thing with Gotham for me is that prequel where it's like, no, he shouldn't be fighting these people now. And it's it's interesting watching the villains get established now because, I mean, they would be a bit older than him, but not that much older than him. My, my favorite thing in the beginning you know, of Gotham like, when it was... Riddler being in his, in his mid to late 20s yeah. throws me off a little bit. But the thing is, is that he's so well cast. 
the villains are really well cast. They're one of the few things that kept me coming back. Uh, Robin Lord Taylor as Penguin. That dude's oh, given 110. God, he's a perfect, and even the new, even Fish Mooney. Oh God, I, thank okay, you. Know, you, you and she's me, an add-on, but she's perfect. Okay, you, you and me, buddies for life, because I was singing the praises of Fish Mooney for the longest time, being like, no, 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 no. She feels like she could exist in the comics. Is the thing. She, she like I when I first when I was watching that first season, I actually went back and started googling for Fish Mooney because I was like, which did she have an appearance somewhere that I just didn't know about? I know, right. And and I I was like, she's convincing. She could definitely exist in the Gotham universe. The the villains are so well cast. It's like watching a bunch of cosplay porn. Basically, like that's that's what Gotham is. It's it's a ton of cosplay porn. It kind of Cause, is because Bruce Bruce is perfectly cast. Baby Selena is perfectly cast. Oh, Baby Ivy is perfectly cast. You know, even that kid they got to be the Joker, but then... Didn't that, make him the Joker but, anymore. But then Joker virus. Like, DC's been on that Joker virus train, and we're going to see it in the comics. They're going to make us eat that in Rebirth. There's the Joker gonna, virus. There's going to be multiple Jokers now, everybody. That's There's going to the be multiple thing. Jokers because they they have to refresh the villain. And instead of letting, him, letting the Joker Grow take a back change. seat as a villain, they're going to... And, you know, maybe work out the muscles of some other fucking excellent villains. They're just going to rehash the Joker. But, hey, now that there's like three or four, every Bat book can have its own Joker now. I, I, don't, I, don't like, I don't really like it that much. I think they should just retire Joker for like a year. They, they did. It's the back. amazing thing in the new 52. They did retire him for like a long period of time. There was no Joker stories. Then, boom, death of the family. I'm back. Then and retired again until Endgame. And it was so good. But Joker's one of those villains that needs to be used sparingly. And he's going to be in a movie, too, so we need to be sure to cram as much Joker in as we can. You can't just punch people in the face with the Joker just repeatedly until you die. (laughs) But damn it, we're going to (laughs) try. They just, they really, they really are like, you like the Joker, it's the only thing you like, okay. No, the interesting... Why can't we work more, like, let's work more with Scarecrow or Hatter or... Or Bane, even. Why not another great Bane story? Bane's story would be great. Bane's a really weird, interesting character. He's also existed in a strange state of morality recently, where it's like when the New 52 rebooted, he was basically a good guy on the Secret Six. He had turned over a new leaf. Then they're like, ooh, but Dark Knight Rises, so make him dress and act like that guy. Then they're like, well, maybe calm him down a little bit. Oh, and now we'll just lose him in the shuffle somewhere. What about some more Azrael stories, too? Azrael's a good character. He's, he's been rebooted quite interestingly now. I don't know if you read Batman and Robin Eternal, but they gave him a new yeah, story. Oh, you did? I like what they did with him there. They streamlined him quite a bit. And he showed up in the first issue of Detective. He showed up there, which is one of the books yeah. we're going to cover. Yeah, he, he, he boop-booped. He beep-booped in the, in the beginning, which I thought was very interesting because... I, I think I've brought it up before in other things I've been on, but I thought the juxtaposition between Azrael and Clayface was very good. Mm-hmm. And here's the main reason why. Azrael started off as a villain and a horrible fucking person and then eventually and started a religious to evolve, zealot too. And a religious zealot. And then eventually evolved into anti-hero and then hero. Protagonist. So you have this interesting evolution of this character and it's a really the writing that went behind it was so 
complex because they had to turn him from a villain to a good guy and they really had to revamp and recreate his entire kind of identity. And they did. They, and they did. And they did it quite well. And they're doing the same thing with Clayface. So we have this beginning with Azrael's appearance and then we have Clayface kind of joining the Bat family towards the end. And we're seeing a very similar, um, I guess, villain's journey through Clayface, where we're seeing a character that has traditionally been seen as a villain starting to be rewritten as a hero. And I actually think, I think just, I don't think the placement with Azrael is a mistake or an accident or a weird coincidence. I think it's intentional. And I think Clayface Clayface is going to be staying as a hero. It's it's funny, too, because I know I was talking to this about Sal of the Weekly Pool as well. Where he's like, really, Clayface, of all the Batman villains you could have chosen to turn good, he's, he's that one. And I'm like, well, which one would you have picked? And, he's like, and he says, Mr. Freeze. I'm like, ooh, no. ooh, that's a good one. I like Mr. Freeze. I don't think, see, I like Mr. Freeze, but I don't think Mr. Freeze would have been able to make the change character-wise. Just because... Mr. Freeze is like, you help out his wife, and then he's basically good at that point. There's only one thing keeping him evil. <laughs> yeah, but he's so singularly focused on Nora that it's it would be way too easy to push him over into that edge again. Well, and I feel... Here's the thing, too. I think the reason they didn't do Mr. Freeze is because they're like, no, 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 we're going to actually change him back around and make him like the old version because Snyder has said, oh, and my all-star Batman, he's one of the villains on my list to revamp. So, no, 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 we can't have him be good yet because Snyder's got a good Mr. Freeze story in mind. Snyder's, Snyder's good at writing those villain stories, I'll tell you what. Most definitely. It, it's funny, too, is that it's very clear that he's going to be revitalizing Mr. Freeze and making him back to the way he was because it was his co-writer and protege, James Tyne, in, in an annual that yes. redid Mr. Freeze's origin to the new one that people didn't like where he was just a crazy Peckerwood and never actually knew Nora. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I think... Uh... Oh gosh, what was I going to say? I was going to say Snyder, I think probably why Snyder too is so good at writing the villains is because I, his roots are in horror writing. Oh god, yes. So the Batman villains, like the, the whole point of the Batman universe really is the villains. Heck, heck, what he did with Calendar Man, it's like how do you make Calendar Man scare? Ooh, we'll make him a Lovecraftian horror is what we'll do. I love what he did with Calendar Man. I mean, Julian Day is one of those really underused villains that I've always liked, but has... You know, since I loved him in the long Halloween, mm. but you can't find a Julian Day story. Like, where where is that going to be? But Snyder made him so badass, and I would love to see a Julian Day story. Maybe he'll have one. Uh, moving, on moving away from DC for a moment, we, we spent yes. a long good time on that. Uh, <laughs> here was an interesting thing. I, I'm sure you've heard about the next big Spider-Man event they're talking about, Dead No More, where it's like, you know, all, all the Spider-Man characters you loved who have died are coming back, and won't this be a thing? And Slot has been building up to this in his main book for a while and then some news hit on a very particular day the day that was the anniversary of the original clone saga where they came out and said guess what it's not dead no more it's the clone conspiracy clone conspiracy i'm so excited to which it's like for a second there it's like well who's this man in the red suit is this mephisto is mephisto bringing people back from the dead then it's like no i'm not mephisto i'm the jackal I kind of like the return of the jackal. <laughs> here, here's my here's here's my thing though. Here's my theory, and tell me if you like it or not. Okay, so okay, okay. so so they mentioned this dead no more thing. They yeah. released the news on the anniversary 
of the uh, of the original Clone Saga. Dude's yeah. wearing a red suit and a jackal head. Yeah. That's not Dr. Warren. That's Ben Riley. <gasps> oh, that's a really good theory. He's not wearing devil red. It's Spider-Man red. That's why. Because he's like, I was supposed to be Spider-Man. I was the right one. And now I'm going to destroy you using clones because I'm the all-new, all-different Jackal now. I I kind of like that. I like that theory. I uh, think that's pretty accurate. Especially when you take a... Okay, I know I get really nitpicky about symbolism and shit like that, but when you take a look at his color palette, it makes a lot of sense. It's Spider-Man colors, isn't it? It is Spider-Man colors! Like, like I thought, like, Evil Man in a red suit. I'm like, oh, well, Dan Slott's working up to a thing with Mephisto. He's gonna have a showdown with him again. No, But it's totally it. a fake-out. Those are completely Spider-Man colors. See, you think of it now. And also, too, uh, Slot kinda, sorta killed Ben Riley or killed a Ben Riley during Spider-Verse. Like, he had a big hero moment, yeah. he got crumbled under a bunch of stuff, then you never saw him again. Wouldn't yes. that be something to be like, oh, I'm the Ben Riley you left, and now I'm out for revenge? I like it. I or, like it. Or, that makes sense. Or, or two, because... And, you know, and this is Christos Gage, who's co-writing this, and Christos Gage is a huge boner for Spider-Man continuity, so I could see him yeah. pulling something like that. He would he would like to tie in a whole bunch of a whole bunch of different things that happened in the past and be like, see now it all makes sense. We'll, we'll probably see Kane come back too because Gage loves Kane. He wrote the Kane solo series for a bit. He yeah. wrote them on the New Warriors. But maybe Kane will he be the one to defeat him. He was very attached to that series too. He was. He really loved that, and he seemed like he was super bummed when it was gone. He was like, but but my baby. But, but, but my baby but, series. But I want everyone to love. K- He's the new Scarlet Spider now, and he lives in Texas. But but why why no Texas Spider? I really Aww. I miss Texas Spider. <laughs> I'm sad I, now. I, I being in Texas too. I was like I that was one of the first things I thought about when I moved here, and now I'm like oh, but there is no Texas Spider. There's nowhere for him to swing from. Where will he swing? <laughs> it is totally flat. He's just gonna stay within the Dallas area. Hey, at least at least you got a hero. There's no big hero setting up in Canada. There's no Canadian Justice League. There was a moment when Jeff Lemire's Justice but League what United. About, what about the caped Joel? I'm the only one. I work alone. Aww. I'm a one man Justice League. It's, I'm sure you heard about this. Jeff Lemire, who's a Canadian writer, he's from Toronto. Yeah. He wrote Justice League United. It was supposed to be called Justice League of Canada. Because that's where they had set up. They set out on, like, a border town. And then DC came in, like, a month before the book was supposed to come out. It's like, get that Canada shit out of there. It's Justice League United now. (laughs) Looks like Justice League Canada needs some freedom. I know, right? For real. (laughs) basically what happened. It's just like, no, none of that. It's funny, too. He's like... Fuck yeah. Yeah. And and he rewrote, uh, what is it, uh, the... uh, the the doctor the strange of uh of the DC universe that guy the dude with the jetpack yeah where it's just like okay well now you're from Canada we've retconned you to be Canadian now and then that character disappeared and there was nothing about it we, we retconned you to be Canadian get the fuck out Canada what, what go a, to Tim Hortons what what a weird Never retcon I don't think I've ever seen a character retconned but okay now you're from Canada. <laughs> 
<laughs> the retconned Canadian. The retconned Canadian. That should be his new solo series now. Strange, the retconned Canadian. That that should be, honestly, that should be your new name. <laughs> retconned Canadian. The retconned Canadian. You need to change your Twitter handle now, sorry. Change, change it again. Did, did you figure this out? For the longest time, my Twitter handle wasn't Cape Joel because I didn't know you could go in and change your handle. I thought it was like YouTube. I thought it's like once you got it, you were stuck with it forever. That's why that's why I didn't start a YouTube channel until I like picked my actual stage name. There you go. You you can't yeah. see it everyone, but my guest is laughing at me quite quite hard right now. I am. I'm I'm laughing when I laugh really really hard. I kind of open my mouth and my body jerks around wildly like I'm having a seizure. Um but no sound comes out. Which, which has got to be rough being a comedian and being around funny stuff and funny people all the time. You know what? You would be surprised how many unfunny people you find at open mic night. Ah, there you go. I, I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, the really good comedians go up early. And then if you're in the shit block like I am, which, you know, says a lot about where I'm at in my comedy, um, it's, it's, all, it's all downhill. I'm sure I'm sure you've heard the great Pat Oswalt bit about open mic nights and he says what's great about it is you get to see the young comedians who will surely be great comedians one day and you get a front row seat to that then you get to see the shit comedians but then you also get to see the escaped mental patients who just want to have a microphone in their hands yes. I love I love open mic so much and it's because of all of the reasons Pat Oswalt stated um, there's like a very, very promising young comedian at our comedy house. Her name is Saffron Herndon. You might've seen her. Um, she's been interviewed a couple times, like on NBC and things like that, but she is an 11 year old comedian. Oh yeah. She did, did, writes... did her thing go viral just recently? Yeah, it did. She is the funniest little munchkin I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. She is the princess of our comedy house. Her, like her, everybody. Her timing is excellent. She is she is perfect, and the way that she rehearses is she does it like a pro, and she actually MCs for the early blocks that go up, and she's one of the first people to go up. And even though like my block is only like I float around between blocks four and five, I will still sit there until my block just so I can show up early to see her because she is fantastic. That's she's cool. amazing. Yeah, and it's it's a joy to get to watch her go up. And then I will stay until the club closes out because I really like to see the 70-year-old man that never gave up on his dreams (laughs) go up and tell a whole bunch of weird Rodney Dangerfield jokes. Like, there was this one guy who is in his, I think, mid-60s who did an entire Steve Martin bit in a white linen suit and a pink shirt. It was the... It was the most beautiful bootleg I'd ever witnessed. I was like, man, I should sell tickets to this. I ain't changed my set since 1964, Con. I'm not going to stop. He brought props. I'm not. So this is not like polished, you know, later in life. I'm securing myself, Steve Martin. This was early Steve Martin. This was like chapter four or five in his autobiography, Steve Martin. This isn't wild and crazy guy, Steve Martin. This was some other shit. This was this was when Steve Martin was wandering around the clubs of San Francisco being like, I've got props, you've got a mic, can I come in? And, <laughs> and yet he still looked old even back then, Steve Martin, is the amazing thing. Even, yeah, even young, Steve Martin was old. There are just people 
Have you noticed that there are two extremes? There are those people who look young forever and people who are just Benjamin Button. It's true. I mean, Steve Martin may be a Highlander. He may be an actual Highlander. He's been 45 all his life. <laughs> it's true. I think I think Seth Rogen makes that joke and like knocked up where he's like, but it got cut from the DVD. He's like, you know, in my life, Steve Martin's always been the same. He's just always been there for me. But if I told him that, I'd sound like a weirdo. <laughs> I feel like I need to tell Steve Martin that. I want to tweet it at him and be like, you know, you've always you've always been there for me, and you've always looked like my dad. <laughs> you've been my constant. Hey, you ever watched Lost? You're like my constant. You're like, the jerk has just been there for me throughout every breakup. <laughs> I'll call you one day. That's my breakup movie, but the jerk is like my breakup movie. That's a good one. You know, you could have said something crazy like, you know, like Cannibal Holocaust. That's my breakup movie. That's my break. No, it's just the jerk. It's it's that opening line, I was born a poor black child, and me being like, no, you weren't. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. You're so dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and from poor black children, we can move on to uh, some more comic book news. Uh, apparently, DC Comics had a great turnout for uh, DC Rebirth. They sold over 235,000 copies of Universe Rebirth. And yet, despite all this, they still lost big to Marvel, if you can believe it. Overall, DC... It makes me so sad. I was really rude. I was actually rooting for DC realistically this time. Me too. I mean, you know what? They should be proud that they're turning out quality books that we all want to read and want to read all of it. But can we, I mean... just, can we just bring this back to the X Men movie really quick? <laughs> sure. What do you want to say? They worked really hard on this. They, le- they, they legitimately put so did. Much effort into it. L- look, little Jeffy John stayed up late nights many a time trying to work this in. Little, little Snyder has been mapping out horror plots. You know, since for like for a full year now, and yeah, he, he actually... Aquaman, Aquaman, he just he he worked so. This is he worked so hard. <laughs> it's true, he really did. Now, obviously, people are saying, uh, well, 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 how can they have sold this much but still come in like so far behind? The deal is owned by Disney. That certainly helps. But also, if you look at the actual breakdown here, it's uh, DC Rebirth was the biggest comic of the month that came out, obviously, just just narrowly above Civil War 2, which came out the same time. Which I don't understand because I have not been enjoying Civil War 2. I'm a fan of both. I would say I like both equally. I have my different favorite mm. franchises within both. Okay, I'm a split down the middle kind of person. Same here. I did not like Civil War 2. I've, I've not been enjoying it. I will make my final call when I read the third one, but I I have not been enjoying it. Did, did you read all the supplemental stuff, like the Zero issues and the free comic book day stuff and everything? I read the free comic book day thing. That you should read the zero issue. The zero issue got it started off on a much better foot because it's literally you just you get to sit down with Carol Danvers and she basically that's says what's bad up. That formatting. That's terrible formatting. You shouldn't How- have to read the zero issue. You should not have to read the zero issue. You know what's really funny about that zero issue? Doc Sampson shows up out of nowhere and Captain Marvel's like, I thought you were dead. And he's like, eh, got better. I got better. That's he literally does the eh, I got Stop. better. I'm just like comic book universe and your goddamn fucking they're they're going gimmick crazy right now. They're they're just everybody's getting better. And here's my thing too. Everybody's like, been slapped in the face with a phoenix down. See, seeing that Doc Samson was resurrected out of nowhere by Bendis instantly made me suspicious of Doc Samson. Like, okay, what are you a scroll an LMD? What are you actually? Because we know Bendis. Bendis is a sneaky sneak. Oh yes, he is. He is sneaky sneak. 
And he's not going to pull some shit like, oh, hey, Doc Samson randomly showing up. You guys got any Fritos? No? Okay, bye. Like, he's not going to do that without a reason. Well, now now we know after reading the last issue that the Hulk is going to be playing a big part. The Banner Hulk. And it's like, hmm, so you resurrected this supporting Hulk character. I wonder what this could mean. Weird. I wonder if we're going to get a Hulk plot. Sure seems that way. Just so you guys know, I made a crazy face. She sure did. I'm looking at it right now. Ah, so crazy. But yes, as I was trying to say, the thing that's helping Marvel stay on top right now, their Star Wars books are selling absolutely gangbusters, and Spider-Man is still up there. Yeah, because because Marvel is owned by Disney. Yeah, and that helps. And, and if not, and if not just the you know expanded the expanded titles, then also Disney's distribution. That helps. Disney's distribution and advertising is fucking amazing. It's a juggernaut. It's a juggernaut. DC will never... uh, Since Disney acquired Marvel, the hopes of DC ever beating Marvel in sales have exploded into fiery flames. And and they keep trying to, like when DCU kind of kicked them in the nuts and they were doing really bad, like they weren't even cracking the top ten anymore. They're like, okay, Dark Knight 3, Dark Knight 3 will be the one, right? And we'll be on top. And again... They were on top for like a month, and then. Well, and Dark Dark Knight Three was like not. It didn't live up to expectations. It's, it's still going. It's not even done yet. It didn't live up to expectations. <laughs> this much in, and it's not. Oh man, you know. From there, we can talk about what we read this week because this is a perfect segue. I read the much touted Dark Knight Returns. Last Crusade, where they're like, oh yeah, Frank Miller's back again to tell you the last story of Batman before he retired. The story of how Jason Todd died. Frank Miller. Yep, that's my thought exactly. I'm just like, no one no one asked for this story. No one no one cares how Jason Todd died in the Dark Knight Returns. The story you've all been waiting for. No? We're good. You mean you mean the story we've all been telling ourselves for almost three decades now, the story that everyone had a different version in their own mind and that ultimately didn't matter in the long run? That story? That one? Yeah, that one. That one. That one. That one. We're yeah, go- that story. We're going to tell that. it to you now in like 80 pages. Oh, God. It's it's extra dumb, too, because, again, I don't know if you've been reading, like, keeping up with it as I have, like, Dark Knight Returns 3. I've been keeping up with it. Stop asking me that. It's, it's really clear that Miller's not writing it, is the thing, because it's actually yeah. somewhat coherent. Yeah. It doesn't have that whiffly-waffly uh, seizure effect that most of Miller's work has, which is actually the whiffly-waffly madness, you know, formatting that Miller has lends itself pretty well to Batman. It worked for him back in the day. It's part of what makes the original so cool. Yeah, it's what makes the original really cool because we're not used to that kind of sort of spastic format. So it was very jarring to readers when we first read it and it dipped us into this very paranoid kind of edgy mindset, which is great for Batman. But when you're going along in a coherent plot line with some like whiffly waffle with like some watercolor style art and but you know it just i don't know it doesn't scream miller to me i'm just kind of like this is nice not not that you can't blame dc for being like you know what frank how about you sit in the corner and just give give nice mr azarello some ideas and he'll write them down considering that give nice mr azarello con- some ideas considering that your last work uh what is it holy terror 
It's like tantamount to a hate crime and a racist manifesto. So we we like to put your name on the book, but we don't want you to put pen to paper. To be to be quite honest, after that, I'm very surprised they were like, let's put your name on the book. You know why they did that? Because if they came out with a Dark Knight 3 and it didn't have Miller's name on it, despite all the horrible shit he's done and said, people would have rioted if it didn't. It was a horrible catch-22. It, it, yeah, uh, I would have just stayed away from it altogether, to be honest. There are so many issues with it. It would have just been better not to do it all, let alone the original reason, which is it is the story that we've been telling ourselves for a hundred million years that n- impacts nothing. Also, too, that you, you, no cares about. you also had a sequel to Dark Knight Returns, and it wasn't very good. No, it was fucking crap. Yeah, and Mr. Miller. It's it's a real thing for Ugh. DC, and I'm sure you've noticed this across the board. When it's like Dark Knight Returns is their security blanket, when it's like we need to go back to a well, to a well-known well, which, you know, what do we go to? Oh, Dark Knight Returns, let's go back there. You know, you know what's going to happen though when they when they in the next like 5 to 10 years when they get worried about that well and they want to draw from it, you know what they're going to draw from? Oh, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to draw from Snyder Writer. Oh, we can hope. That would be nice. That no, they're definitely going to. He he's become so iconic for Batman. In such a short amount of time too. I yeah. guess because he was like a whole new generation's first Batman writer and he was continuously he, solid he, across the board. He never turned in a bad the, issue. He's the millennial Batman writer. He is. It's almost like Snyder's I feel like for this generation Snyder's Batman is almost like how the animated series was for the kids who grew up in the 90s. Mm, which I did, which, yes. yeah. Yeah, like Batman the Animated Series, that is forever my Batman. Like, no, it's not, you know, and of course the Batman Adventures comics that sprung out from it, that's my Batman. Like, Absolutely. whenever I think of Batman, those are going to be the first images that pop into my head because I was a kid in the 90s and that was my Batman. And I feel like for kids who are in junior high and high school now, that's how Snyder and mm-hmm. Capullo are. You know, that's gonna that's their Batman. When, whenever I read Batman in the comics, I'm always hearing Kevin Conroy's voice. Yeah, it's it will always be Kevin Conroy in my it, mind until I die. It's always Conroy and Hamill yep. in my mind, always, and that's always. and that's why I think people get so ass blasted about Suicide Squad and branch off comics like that yeah. that do really different, like hyper stylized versions of other characters in the Gotham universe mm. because it's not it's not theirs. It's not it's pure. Not, it doesn't belong to me. It's not pure. <laughs> light it on light, Jared Leto on fire. Burn the witch. Burn and like and so many people are just getting so panty twisted about Jared fucking Leto and I'm like, you know what? He ain't too far off from Suicide Squad Joker. He's a blend of Suicide Squad Joker and Snyder's Joker with a grill. Like with, that's basically with, what he is. With the shaved sides. I, I like the Joker has He's gone got, in for the most trendy male haircut ever, the shaved sides. I call it the fuckboy fade. It you got a fuck kind of is. Got, he got a fuckboy fade, but you know what? The Joker is a fuckboy. And it literally I'm, is. People, people are going to be like, oh, she used the term fuckboy. Oh, no, I'm so I'm so mad. And my Trust audience, me, this is the proper show to use the so term fuckboy. My audience ups- has no issue with it. Oh, good. It's like, I'm so upset. Why did you use the term fuckboy? That's racist. My, and, my, but my like, problem is we don't time. use the term fuckboy enough on this show. <laughs> yes. 
But at the same time, the Joker is a horrible person, yes. and the term fuckboy is for horrible people. Also, too, and the Joker is a fuckboy. Also, when you look at the movie, too, it's very clear that, you know, Harley Quinn is going to be the breakout character. She's going to be the POV character. And yeah. we will like her more if we hate the Joker more. Yeah, well, Joker's a piece of shit. I love the I love the Joker as a villain, mm-hmm. but he he's a piece. You could hate him. He's a piece of shit. That's what he's there for. He's like Joffrey. You're supposed oh. to hate him. I mean, nobody will ever hate anything as much as they hate Joffrey, but... I I don't know, man. Ramsey Bolton was pretty shitty, too. Ramsey Bolton was shitty, but Joffrey... Joffrey just... He was a special kind of shit. Adam Driver took off his mask, (laughs) and you just immediately were like, our punchable faces. Where's our punchable faces? It was... It was the punchable face. It was the fact that he was so utterly entitled being, like, from rich money like he was. Yes. And just knowing, like, I can get away with anything. I'm Joffrey. Oh, just let me into your mind. God, just relax a little bit. <laughs> no, Adam Driver, stay out of my mind, Adam Driver. <laughs> no. The funniest thing, though, is that he's, like, apparently the nicest person in real life. Supposedly. That's uh, that's always the way. Like, you know, the worst <laughs> villains are really nice people in real well, life. Well, it, it's kind of like when I met... um. Uh, Taylor, like uh, Andrew Lloyd Taylor. I was thinking of Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> oh, you meant Andrew Lloyd Webber? Seriously, the musical guy? You don't say. <laughs> I was thinking, sorry, because because Lord Taylor is so unusual. It is. So it's like when you have Lord in the middle name, I just immediately thought of. I I, I, I didn't get to meet him at Fan Expo last year. I really wanted to though. But, but when I met Perngren, when I met Mr. Perngren, he was so nice, and he did a Zoolander pose with me. I was like, can we take five selfies, and can one of them be a pose from Zoolander? And he was like, yes. He's a, he's a super cool guy. I listened to him on The Nerdist. He talked about his life. He talked about, like, the, he talked about the several SVU episodes he's been on. I'm like, dude, I've seen all those episodes. I've seen every episode. I, I just, he's such... A nice person and i told him like i told him a really funny joke and then i ended it with the usual self-deprecating like well apparently i'm here and i'm only half coherent because i'm really sick so obviously i'm doing really great in my life and he was like you made me laugh you'll go real far i was like oh i was like he's so nice what a what a winner that guy is, and you know he's going to have a good career post Gotham too. I think he's going to be yeah. in some really interesting shit. I I will see. He's one of those people um, that I will probably just go see the movie just because he's in it because mm. I just like him as an actor. Now uh, I don't have a lot of celebrities that I like, but I do like him. Yeah, I agree. Now on the Batman kick as we were, I guess a book we both read this week because we've already careened into the what we read this week portion of the yeah. show. We we both read the new Batman. This is the first official Tom King one. It punched me in the feels and then it made me go, oh. What I dug about it is that it's Batman versus essentially a natural disaster, something that someone like Superman or Green Lantern could deal with like that, but for him it's the end of the goddamn world trying to stop a plane from falling out of the sky. I I like the monologue that the uh, guy in the plane was doing. Where he was like, he was, why Gotham? Why us? <laughs> yeah, it, well, and then the fact that like we don't have anybody in Gotham to catch us. We don't have we don't have no goddamn Superman. There's no Superman, you know, here to save us in fucking this goddamn hellhole. Like he's getting like really. He's like, there's no superheroes here. There's no God here. God is dead. We've killed God. And then <laughs> the, the, see, thanks, Nishi. And then you see Batman hanging on the wing like, 
I'm here. D- doing his best, like, uh, what is it, a Twilight Zone gremlin. Yeah, he's and he's going to die, right? He's going to die on this goddamn plane saving these pessimist assholes. And, and yet he's cool with that, and he says that great line, again, to bring it back to Dark Knight Returns, Alfred, is this a good death? Is this the good death I was looking that for? That was just punching me in the face and in my tear ducts the entire time. Like, I was crying, and my boyfriend was like, oh my god, are you okay? And I was like... No, the dog, it just bit me really hard. And he was like, the dog is in his crate taking a nap. And I was like, no, he bit me really hard. And started cutting onions and rubbing them in my face. Shut the fuck up. Look, Batman accepted his death, okay? <laughs> like, and then and then he was all of a sudden, sorry, spoiler alert. And then he was all no, this, of a this sudden. This is a spoiler show, go for it. Oh, okay, yay. And then he was all of a sudden saved by goth girl and super dipshit. And I, and it, I was like, well, that was anticlimactic. Like, I was waiting for Batman to pull it out of his ass like he always does, where he's like, oh, wait, I've got bullshit spray. <laughs> On my belt, yeah. And then he suddenly, okay, he doesn't have bullshit spray anymore. It's edgier than that. It's That's more true. like suddenly MacGyver. I, I had nano machines in my suit. I forgot to mention that. He god mode MacGyver's everything. <laughs> he really does. I know. But the struggle in him pulling himself out of it is what we love to see it's as true. Batman readers. And then and then dipshit and and goth G- Gotham goth and Gotham girl. girl to where I'm like, ooh, those aren't good names. I was like, the fact that they're shitty names, I'm like, you're villains. Your secret oh, villains. Oh God, yes. Well, they, it's they, so it's... obvious. Your secret villains. Oh. It was like we've saved you, and we're totally not villains. By the way, did we mention we're super not evil? I, well, I, well, didn't they come out and say it's like we're here? Just I think they've said it in interviews and elsewhere. It's like this is our city. Yeah, we like, fuck you, bitch. Well, they say we've come here to save Gotham from you, and I wonder if moving forward, if this is the kind of hey, story we're dealing with. I gotta, I gotta double check that hand. If they don't say it in the book proper, I know for a fact that uh, Tom King was saying it, that that's what they're doing, where it's like, we've come to save Gotham from Batman. That's some racial ghoul fucking shit. Yeah, well, well, I wonder if moving forward, because obviously these are two super no. man-level individuals. Yeah, they don't say it in the comic. They say, I am Gotham. Oh. So it's not even Gotham man. He's just Gotham. He's just I am Gotham. Gotham. And this is Gotham girl. This is our city. We are here to save it. That's right. what they say. Well, but they say it very angrily at Batman, like, from you. Yeah, they say it. They're looking, the way they're posed, too, is, like, crazy menacing. It's like something out of Irredeemable. Like, Ooh, nice, nice point. Like, he's he's going to kill a bunch of kindergartners and then set them up like little fucking props oh, no. later. That's but what it's, it's like. As, as I was trying to say, I wonder if moving forward, the idea, here's two super-powered individuals, two very Superman-esque characters coming to Gotham. I wonder if Batman's issue moving forward will be like, you know what, this this whole plane incident really kind of showed me I do have limitations. Maybe I should let these guys take, you know, some work off my plate. But obviously because he's Batman, he'll go, nah, fuck that. Every time he tries to do that, he just goes... He just says he either is like, God damn it, I knew this would happen, and that's why I prepared for it. Yep. Or, or he goes, No, no, fuck you, I'm gonna take you down. Regardless I'm, of your intentions, I'm gonna take you down. I'm I'm the goddamn Batman, and that's just the way it's gonna be. 
I I love the goddamn Batman. Like what he, the way he over prepares for his life is how I handle most things. <laughs> where, where I have like a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. You like, also contingency plans for everything in my life. I'm also super neurotic though. You also keep a sliver of kryptonite in your boot just in case. Dude, just in case. <laughs> you never that's, know. That's what I call the shiv that I hide, <laughs> that I hide in my shoe. You can never be too careful. A good call, scout's always prepared. I call it like some mugger quarters me down an alley and I'll be like, I've got kryptonite. And they're like, what's that? Ah! <laughs> stab, 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 stab. Uh, but uh, yeah, th- this is a cool story. I like Tom King goes out of his way to be like, look, this isn't this isn't Scott Snyder. This is a new generation of Batman. This is a fresh starting on point. But also, I'm going to keep some classic stuff in there, like even Batman talking to Gordon on top of the GCPD, where it's like, man, how many Batman stories start like this? The the incorporation of the of the very classic Batman elements. I like the I actually like the panel, the shot where he's uh, diving down headfirst away from uh, Gordon where they were just meeting on the roof mm-hmm. and then um, talking to Alfred via yeah, the Duke, little... Duke got that... to help out. Yeah, and Duke got to help out. That was neat. <laughs> I'm I, like, good for you. I, I like Duke. I've championed I Duke, but I think they kind of jumped the gun too heavy with him. It's like, we'll put him in a book with a bunch of Robins and people will love that. It's like, no, no, we uh, won't. The, comic, the thing about comic book fans is they've got to be eased into new things. It's true. They don't like change. Like, really, Har- really. like uh, people were arguing that Harley Quinn's outfit for, I hate to bring everything back to Harley Quinn, but That's you know, fine. I'm, I'm a the right show for it. So people were really bitching about how she didn't keep her original outfit. I miss it. From Suicide Squad. That outfit is so dumb. I she's I wearing, like it. She's wearing an Elizabethan collar, booty shorts, studded hot topic belt. Oh, 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 you're talking like the new one. I thought you were talking and about like fucking, the classic, like no, original nineties no, no. one. Classic nineties one is fine. Nineties one always fine. But a lot of people have been complaining mostly about her new suicide squad. Oh, one. well in that case I don't give a shit. With the giant Elizabethan fucking ruffle. And, and because the corset tied so tight. And I'm like, first of all, she's a gymnast. Okay, that just doesn't even fucking make sense. Second of all, I mean, superpowers, be damned. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And then, third of all, she's wearing an Elizabethan ruffle. That shit, if you saw that on the screen, you would be slamming it so hard. Your eyes would be drawn to it. And I mean, geez, in a day and age when they can't even really get Apocalypse right, not to bring it back to that again. (laughs) Yeah. In a day and age where they can't even get Apocalypse right, I cannot imagine that costume doing anybody any favors. Yeah. You know, it was just the costume they have now. It's a redesign that they've been planning even since the comic books. And it's fine. And you, and you, and you got to thank, uh, thank the Arkham universe a lot for that too, for facilitating the change over in general. Yeah. No, so the Arkham games had a huge hand in facilitating a lot of her costume changes. Sh- shockingly huge, in fact. Uh, I, I guess, too, because I, I talked about Batman. What, what was another book you read this week that you like to talk about? Usually what me and Matt do is I'll talk about a book, he'll talk about a book, and we'll trade back and forth. Oh, um, well, Matt's not here anymore, Joel! He's not, I know. He left me in the lurch. <laughs> what, what, what an Australian dick. <laughs> he left you with the monster. Yeah, the sea monster. Go check out her channel. <laughs> Yeah, go check out my channel, Sea Monster Comics. <laughs> Look at it. But yeah, Look but, at it. 
Isn't yes. it so pretty? <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, what was a book you read this week that uh, you wanted to talk about? Like just a book? Like just a regular book? <laughs> uh, y- y- yes, did you read the new James Joyce this week? What did you think of it? The new James Joyce. I don't know why James Joyce. I could have. <laughs> I could have said Stephen King. I could have said anything, but no. you could have said anybody who is you know alive or still <laughs> writing. <laughs> fine. James Joyce. Hey, did you read that new Sung Soo? Yeah, it's a sequel to The Art of War. It's great. I think I read the latest Jane Austen. <laughs> mm, this is good. Oh, how how about that Nathaniel Hawthorne? Did you read the most recent Hemingway? I heard it was hilarious. <laughs> Isn't it always? Did you read the new Hunter S. Thompson? He still writes shit, doesn't he? Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. Have you so read the most recent George R. R. Martin? Oh, wait. You can't. <laughs> he's, he's procrastinating still. Hey, he wrote some great restaurant reviews, I'm sure. God. I remember when he was writing his parody fan fictions. I was like, Whoa. I was like, I used to follow his blog, and I can't anymore because, because it's just of- like, why aren't you writing the Winds of Winter? Because it's like, it's just, it's like he used to fill it up with his parody fan fiction, and I don't know if he still does it anymore. But god damn, was it the most annoying fucking thing on the planet? You you gotta kind of feel bad for old George R. R. there because he's in this horrible position where people have waited so long and they've called him such a genius and they love his work and all this, that, and the other thing. He's probably at a point now where it's like. What can I do and have this not be disappointing forever? I feel him and the berserk guy are in the same position where it's like, what do we do? What do we? What do you people want? How can I? Okay, not we just you? Well, for berserk, we just wanted regular updates. Okay, that's what we've been asking for since the eighties. <laughs> and he's like, nah. If if JoJo, okay, if JoJo can get his shit together, then surely. But but hey, it's okay because we're going to be getting a new Berserk video game and a new Berserk uh, anime, which should supposedly cover material we haven't seen before. I know, right? That's the face. I I closed my eyes really slowly and then pretended I was in an alternate universe where Berserk was finished and Winds of Winter. But hey, you know that uh, the, that new video game is for real, though. Matt and I talked about this last week. The next Dynasty Warriors game isn't going to be a Dynasty Warriors game. It's going to be a Berserk game. I am excited for that. I I love Berserk. Berserk was one of the the first. Okay, it was one of the first animes I ever saw. But that was because my dad thought anime was for kids. <laughs> he, I, I was he in a similar fell into position. That blockbuster trap. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. So there's a there's a channel out here in Canada called Teletoon. Basically, it's the Canadian version of Cartoon yeah. Network, but not as good. Like at 2, 3 in the morning, and as I mentioned before, I have insomnia, every so often they would play anime movies. And one such movie that was in heavy rotation was Ninja Scroll. So a much younger Joel watched a lot of Ninja Scroll at like 2, 3 in the morning when everyone else was asleep. Yeah, remember that opening scene where that guy gets his finger cut off and then it finger bangs that girl yeah. and then there's like love juices everywhere. Remember and the then... horrible rock monster who rapes a woman in the first 10 to 15 minutes? I, I do remember that. I remember that so vividly. How could you not? remembers it really well. <laughs> well, actually, here, here's the message. was like, that doesn't... I don't fully understand what's happening, but I believe it's wrong. <laughs> Actually, here, here's the super funny thing. I don't know if you've seen, like, the little trailer they put out for the Berserk uh, Muso game. You know what scene they chose to immortalize in the trailer to show yeah, you that it's really R-rated? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the yeah. horrible, violent rape of Casca at the hands of Monster Griffith. Because that's how you know that it's serious. In the anime, it was actually portrayed as something not super erotic and mostly horrifying. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of screaming and crying and just disgust and fucking demons and blood and it, it was looked like a heavy metal album cover it was it was not yeah not only that but it was it was grotesque and horrible and i was like yes this is a good way to handle the gravity of what is happening by making it grotesque and horrible yep, but yep. that trailer was like it's so sensual and i was like you do no. know she got raped so bad that she it she, broke her mind she's broke now so her brain doesn't work no more <laughs> Because Muso games, and, uh, I was like, uh, no, can we? I feel, I feel. Uh, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm not the most sensitive person, but I feel, I feel icky. <laughs> I feel, I almost feel the innate need to protest if I weren't so excited about a bazooka. I know, right? I feel the same way. Where I'm like, this is horrible, but goddamn, I want to kill people with uh, friggin' guts is uh, dragon slayer sword. sword. Like, like the Berserk is a comic, too, the way it was handled. Also grotesque and horrifying and gross, but Griffith, that sweet baby puppy soul of his, like, takes her and nurtures her and guides her through her fucked up labyrinth of an empty skull-fucked mind and i'm yep, like yep. and i'm like this is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen and also the most horrifying comic i've ever read it sure is it's it's so many things berserk and, and, is so good and now it's gonna be a hack and slash i can't wait for it i am also excited because i want to beat shit up with the big ass bust sword that's piece. one of the coolest swords in fiction it really really it's is so cool it's freaking uh, awesome. Now, now, as I was trying to say, did you read anything this week you wanted to talk about? I, I read a red green arrow. How sweet was green arrow? Uh, it was good. <laughs> it was pretty good. What, what I like, and I've been <laughs> joked about this with Benjamin Percy on Twitter. So it's like, huh? So this is like the third or fourth CFO of Queen Industries that turned out to actually be evil. You think you think Oliver would have learned the lesson when the other guy was building Ferguson robots not a couple months ago? Yeah, you would have thought, but nope, Oliver doesn't learn shit. Oliver is fucking idiot. Oliver, honestly, for the second, so Green Arrow, for me, got off to a really strong start, right? Sure did. And then the second one? The writing is irking the shit out of me, and see, I don't. See, I'm digging it, but then again, Green Arrow is like my favorite hero, so I'm like a really so, easy mark. Yeah, I'll I'll excuse a lot of things for Batman because that's also my favorite. Batman and Harley Quinn get they get a lot of free passes mm-hmm. because I'm a fan, so I'm like my critical eye is not really there. But for Green Arrow, the only okay, so the overarching story, good, good shit. That's good shit. I would read it. Times got, uh, got some more Black Canary there challenging Oliver, basically saying, hey, you know, do you have any friends who you don't pay or do you just live in a weird little bubble? I like Black Canary calling Oliver on his stupid fucking bullshit. Continuously. He's like, he's like I'm going to be the social justice warrior, but OK, I'm going to bribe a lot of people now. And I was like, I don't know if you understand what that is. These, these, these two things seem to run like counterpoint to each if- other. If you're going to be part of a super extreme social justice movement, maybe you shouldn't bribe people. 
I, I do like uh, what is it that uh, Percy is trying to show. Look, Green Arrow is a very different hero than Batman. Batman would have just beaten this guy up and left him bloody and bruised. But Green Arrow's like, nah, man, tell you what. You know, you hear anything on the street, you let me know. Here's some money. Yeah, no, I prefer Batman's way. Just beat the fucking shit out of him. Teach him not to take bribes. Because Percy's like, it'll teach it. I'll, sorry, not Percy. Ollie's like, it'll teach him not to take bribes. And I'm like, <laughs> By I me think- bribing him. I'm like, I don't think giving him money and bribing him teaches him not to take bribes anymore. Just I think you've just rein- I think you've just reinforced it for him. <laughs> you know, I didn't I think, look at it that way. <laughs> I think beating the shit out of him for taking a bribe will teach him not to take a bribe anymore, but that's just me. <laughs> There's like but the thing the thing that got me about the comic that was so clunky in the second issue and that they're really rushing and that I don't appreciate the rushing of it is the relationship between Green Arrow and Black Canary. Oh, because they're already having sex now in the issues later. They, okay, like, they didn't even, there was no lead into it. It was basically just like, fuck you, Ollie, fuck you, Ollie, I'm calling you on your shit, Ollie, you're a privileged piece of shit, Ollie, you're a fuckboy scumbag, Ollie. (laughs) And then then all of a sudden, oh my god, I'm hopping up and down on your cock, Ollie, what the fuck happened to that? Oh my god, oh, how how did this happen? And then and then they're like flirting and being really cute and happy. And then all of a sudden we like little to no warning three 180 back into fuck you, Ollie. You're a privileged piece of <laughs> shit, Ollie. I fucking hate you, Ollie. And then awkwardly during this like, you know, verbal tongue lashing, we hear this, get a room, you two. And I'm like, I don't know. Black Canary sounds really vitriolic. I don't think she's flirting. <laughs> you see, Maybe you should read the room. You, you see, what you don't know is, is that's what Oliver Queen is secretly into. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me how much I suck. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think it has to be that because there's no other way I can explain how awkward it is. Because the comic overall I would say was good, but it kept getting interrupted by these really awkward relationship moments between Ollie and Black Canary. And my brain is trying to catch up to their relationship because we've had no introduction. We've had no setup. All we've had is vitriolic hate, cock bouncing, <laughs> and then and then more vitriolic hate. And it's there, there's no in-between. There's no lead-in. There's no, like... And, and apparently she's meeting... She's meeting his, you know, pseudo family, his, yeah. his pseudo cis kid family, and I'm just sitting here like, this is really awkward. This is so awkward. Apparently, you like just met this person not that long ago. And you got to think too, if you're Imiko and you know, and you live here with like your surrogate father, big brother. It's just like, who the fuck is she? Why, why is she sitting here across the breakfast table from me? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to eat my Cheerios. Why? Like, like I'm trying to study and eat some Pop-Tarts, and this bitch in some leather fucking shorts comes <laughs> out, and she starts calling you a piece of shit. Like, if I, were, if I were his sister, I would be like, yo, you need to get out. You are not good enough. Get the fuck out. Although it's funny how they turn it around and be like, no, no. But Imiko is a huge Black Canary music fan, so she's like, this is great. Uh, the fangirling was also really awkward to me. She it, didn't seem like a fangirl Imiko, did she, you know, raised by assassins. Basically a female Damien, if anything. Yeah, it just, it all came off the fangirling. I fan didn't think of that. I, I, I just thought it was cute, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
the fangirling, the relationship stuff was what was awkward. The overarching plot that was happening was not awkward. It was it was pretty well executed, but it kept getting interrupted by these really awkward relationships. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they should have done the they're trying to force the relationship to move a lot faster, I feel, than it's meant to. Mm, right, because it's like, you no, know, but people want to see them together, though. we got to get them together right now so things but, can be like they were 20 years ago. But partly what fans really like, and what we really liked about the original, was the process of them getting together. Yeah, it took a long time. Yeah, it was a long process. But that, but that was a big part of the fun, was that whole, you know, him-yim, except the ending. Himium-esque soap opera of, like, is he going to get together with her? Is he going to get together with her? You know, we had that little bit, we had those little hints of K-drama-esque romance mm. mixed in with our ass-kicking, and we quite liked it. Is is he going to get with her only to cheat later and be a scumbag and have to win her back, which he did in the Judd Winnick years? Yeah, that was fine. I mean, it was just one of those things where, like, they're just randomly, they're just randomly hooking up. And it, it's, I feel like, it feels like Black Canary is just kind of using him for booty, but it, she really it, doesn't like him. There's, there's, I'm he's glad that, you mentioned he's that. He's that fuck buddy, he's that friends with benefits that wants something more with you, and you're like, nah, I'm really not feeling it. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because there's a great scene where he's trying to talk to her, and they're in bed, and Black Canary's just like, just, 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 just look pretty, just look pretty, Ollie, just, no words, no words now. You're pretty, so you need to shut up and be pretty. <laughs> Words like, time is over now. <laughs> you, you're you a cock and a pretty face and a nice set of pecs, all right? And, and that's a lot all of money, too. And a lot of money. But she's not really into She's, like, not taking money from no, him. No, she's, she's not, just, which is kind of cool. Just taking dick, which is, which is cool. It's kind of a bamf move. It's kind of a power play. But you also don't power play people you love and care about. Yeah, yeah. And one of the nice things about the original Black Canary-Ollie relationship was they found equals in each other. Mm-hmm. And they had a cool... They had a... They had probably one of the more healthy relationships in the comic book. As weird as it is to say, they absolutely did. Yeah, and that was one of the nice things about them was they had that sense of normalcy and we could really relate to that as readers, unlike a lot of the other really bizarre fucked up relationships in the comic book world. Mm -hmm. So it was something that was relatable. So and it's, I feel it's also like, cool that they brought back Shadow. I know that was one of my big issues with Green Arrow stories yeah. up until now, where it's like, stop inventing new characters, stop bringing in characters from other pantheons, bring it's, back Green Arrow characters, please. I like that they're working on their villain roster. As they should. Yeah, no, can, I really can, can like that. Can we have that. Brick next? Because, like, Jeff Lemire gave Brick an amazing She's redesign. Where he became like the Afro Samurai, then we never saw him again. Yes! That design was so cool! Why did they never do anything with a design that amazing? He's got like a gi and a samurai sword and a top knot. I'm like, what's Brick been up to? Can, can we... He, it's like, it seems like he's been busy. We should really talk to Brick some more. You know, really? Brick... Brick was always a good guy. Didn't we Didn't we always enjoy hanging out with Brick? I think you we did. Should. Let's let's bring him back. Dude, I, I, I have a Brick story night? in mind. <laughs> Seriously. No, they... But it looks like I'm hopeful overall for the series. I just really want this relationship shit out of the way, because if it either needs to be gotten out of the way really fast and rip it off like a Band-Aid, or we need to go to regular pacing. Because if this is the type of dynamic that I'm going to be seeing throughout the entire Green Arrow run for Rebirth, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the whole thing. Right. 
because uh, it's it's gonna fuck it up for me. Yeah, I understand that. An interesting book I read this week that I almost didn't read, but it was just such like an odd concept. I had to check it out. Uh, Vote Loki, which is the new political satire starring yes. Loki. Did you get a chance to read this? I, you know, I picked up uh, Vote Loki and got like three pages in, but it is actually really funny. It's funny. It's clever. It's weirdly even-handed as you get closer into it. I was not expecting such a bipartisan political comedy book. I really, I like the fact that it's an overarching commentary because we're so heavily, especially in the United States, we're so heavily bipartisan and we're so, we trap ourselves in general. I mean, this is not, I've always been a moderate and I've always been a really big fan of research and, you know, I know that's weird being an American. Um, but it's something that everybody does across party lines is we create these wonderful little echo chambers for ourselves and find fine tune our analytics to be only <laughs> things that reinforce ideas that we've already had. Loki even says that in the comics saying, you know, yes. I love election season, especially in America, because everyone just lies. But more than that, no one actually cares about facts and charts. People only care about stories. They vote for the story they like more. And as the god of stories, I'm okay with this. <laughs> That was actually the part I was going to tie in because that was really it's, good. yeah, no, it was a great, it was a great part. It was a great commentary and it was a good, it was a nice look at ourselves through basically the eyes of somebody who seems very, very objective. Mm, yeah. And it, which, which it is was, weird to think Loki, the former God of evil is objective and yet he weirdly is. Well, because the best way to take advantage of our system is to be is to be objective. But I think the people who are going to be mostly objective aren't going to be evil enough to take advantage of the system. <laughs> Unlike Loki, who uh, I, I don't know if you read Prez from DC, but I was a huge fan of their reboot of Prez. That was also a political satire. Of course, that one was a little bit more outrageous and a little bit more futuristic. That one also really planted its feet into one style of political ideology to make fun of another. Uh, I don't know if Vote Loki is as funny as Prez was, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Prez is unusually sharp. Oh, God, yes. uh, Prez Prez is something that really stands out amongst the sea of content that's out there because it definitely has a keen eye and a sharp tongue when considering our political system. And the jokes are very, very well written. And, you know, you can tell it's written by somebody who's used to writing jokes, who has experience, a lot of experience with it. Vote Loki, not necessarily. Um, But Vote Loki for what it is, is quite good. Yeah, I mean, like, if if, you want... But if anybody wants more of that type of humor, Prez is an excellent place to start. Yeah, if you're a sort of person who would like to see more like political satire and political comedy through the lens of comic books, definitely look this up and definitely look Prez up, too, for all the same reasons. Uh, what was something else you read this week that you'd like to talk about, if I can just throw it over to you? Um, let me think. So I was hanging out with Green Arrow. I was hanging out with Batman. Um, I got about halfway through Titan's Rebirth. Mm, I read that. I started getting distracted with trades. Yeah, that happens. Uh, Titan's Rebirth is cool. It is the continued adventures of Wally West, who's now back in the main universe. Yes. This is him trying to hunt down his old friends and trying to make them remember, and we're treated to a series of cool little flashbacks. There's a lot of little bits of retconning going on there, but all you need to know is the Titans team that you love are back together now, and they're ready for action. Yes, which is really nice. And I like the fact that we're starting to see the overarching plot of Rebirth basically unfolding 
through the lens of Wally, mm-hmm. Barry, and the bats. Yes, to some regard. I, I like that idea where it's like, look, we we know what's going on, we three, but let's not tell the Justice League about this, because if we say there's a big blue naked man in the sky who stole ten years from us, they're going to think we're insane. Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, and Batman's like, and I'm already a little insane, so you know... Well, he did get that yellow ring after all. Aha, uh-huh. you can instill great fear, Bat of Gotham. <laughs> and he's you? like, sure, I will. I like how that ring didn't really change him too much. It just made him even more of a dick. <laughs> how would you like to join the Sinestro Corps? Sure. I was like, eh, all right, nah, I'm fucking good. <laughs> I'll, I'll be running this thing in a week. <laughs> I would, I mean, combining Batman with ultimate power would be probably the worst thing anybody could do. A little bit. Little there is bit. a reason he does not have powers. There is a very good reason. There's a reason why him on the Mobius chair was frightening for Justice League. Yes. Speaking of Justice League, that was another book that came out this week. Weirdly ties yes. into Titans. It's kind of like a weird prologue to Titans, actually. It kind of it kind of is. I feel like they're, what they're setting up for in the future is that they're going to have a lot of crossover between Justice League and Damn Titans. As they should, because that's yeah. how it used to be well, back in the olden days. that's how it was originally days. formatted, yeah. And, and it's, it's going to be better that way. Because that's how it should be. It's also a bit of a retcon story because it takes place not long after the events of war and the beginning of the New 52. And it's Batman essentially just taking Dick Grayson to meet the Justice League and meet the superhero community and be like, you know, one day, one day, son, everything the light touches will be yours is essentially what he was doing. I mean, not to be gauche or anything, but I love Dick. Me too. I I love that Dick is taking a bigger role in our lives as he should as he should dick should always really take a bigger role <laughs> i'm very happy about it the dc universe is getting more dick focus forget detective comics guess, in the future it's going to be dick comics i i mean i can't wait because you know what dc needs the d and they're going to get always it. needed the d <laughs> and they're going to get him back in blue too for now like, oh man i'm so excited for what tim seeley's going to do with that book i love tim seeley so much i i'm i'm bouncing up and down you know, I'm bouncing up and down for the D. For Dick. Is, I just, just his hack slack his hack slash book. That was another book that involved a lot of D. It's 11:30 p.m. and Dick Grayson jokes are my favorite. Ever since I got a this like awesome, it's a, okay, it's a body pillow. Not to be weird, but it says "Want Dick" on it, ah, and it has Dick Grayson. Ah, one of them creepy anime com- fuck pillows that me and it, Matt talk about all the time. Yeah, but it's not a creepy anime fuck pillow. It's a creepy comic book fuck pillow. Uh, okay, get it fucking right. Get it right, you Philistine. You 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 fucking pleb. <laughs> I don't belong in the trash can. I belong in the gutter. <laughs> but dumb tish. But like it says, a uh, it says. It says "Got Dick" on it, and it's Sweet. Dick Grayson, and I'm like, it makes me, it makes me so happy. That pun is my favorite thing. So whenever I talk about Dick Grayson, I just got to talk about the D. <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess, from DC to Marvel, uh, I read Civil War number two this week. Did you? I mean, I got. I... This is this is the escalation point where it's like up until now everyone's been somewhat reasonable. This is where Tony steps the line into being unreasonable. Well, oh my god, who would have thought? I'm so surprised. I know, I'm right? So surprised that this thing that is basically rehashing something, an event that people considered kind of a clusterfuck, apart even from back the- then, but has since been elevated. 
I mean, it's been elevated, but when it was first released, it was considered such a clusterfuck. I remember people bitching about the original Civil War people, back in the day. Yeah, and now people are bitching about Civil War now. and Because like, they made a really great movie out of it with the same title. <laughs> and they were like, Disney's, Disney's marketing team, so I call it marketing content, and it always worries me when marketing content happens. Yeah. I always get worried. Because it's usually a precursor to over-flooding and shitty content that people are going to start churning out en masse because it's content that's not driven by creators. It's content driven by marketing teams. Civil War II, I feel, is content driven by marketing teams. Because we needed a Civil War II to come out around the same time as the new movie. Yes. I don't like stuff like that. I don't like it. It seems a little shameless. I would argue the Dark Knight Returns bit is more shameless, but you know. But I also don't like that. Like, Batman usually gets a pass for me, but marketing content usually doesn't because it's a big mistake, and companies make it all the time. Mm -hmm. They hand over their creative direction to their marketing teams. Marvel is full on doing this. I think they, in general, do a really good job of avoiding kind of the marketing trap, Mm -hmm. but when you... uh, when you look at marketing content, what can wind up happening, and I think very, very easily, is that when you hand a lot of big creative work over to marketing teams, the comic book creators and the and the artists and the people who work really, really hard to create these wonderful pieces of work wind up being controlled and turning into, you know, glorified copywriters and advertising and, writers. And I mean, it's not even like they threw nobody's at this. They threw Bendis at it. They threw a AAA yeah. artist at it and everything. No, they've, they threw in an amazing, super experienced team with a lot of creativity behind them, which is why it, w- it makes me think that this team didn't necessarily come up with the idea for a Civil War II. Right. I, I mean, and there's like some cool bendicisms in there too. I mean, you know, Tony is really slick and has some sharp lines and everything, even yeah. when he is ki- kidnapping an inhuman child from his bed in the dead of night. Yeah, that was intense. That's a step too far, and arguably torturing the young man. Yeah, that was... mm, You know, Tony, when we talk about uh, going over the line in the workplace, uh, (laughs) kidnapping and torture usually fall under uh, maybe harassment. Look, but Carol is wrong, though, so I have to do this. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, just because somebody's wrong doesn't mean you have to torture somebody who's relatively unrelated to you being wrong. No one can be trusted to use the future powers, so I'm going to take the future powers away from everybody. And no one else was doing research on it, I am. God fucking damn it, Tony. So much to the point that I will risk starting a war with a sovereign, super-powered nation if I need to. Yay! Tony! Tony makes the best life decisions ever! (laughs) And he's like, look, I was upset because my friend died, is the thing. It's like, even still, you're you're, you're going a little too far there, man. Tony makes the best decisions when he's grieving. Tony makes the best decisions (laughs) ever! It's like, look, it's no secret Abu Ghraib prison in another dimension where you'll lock up all your friends who don't agree with you, but it's close. Yep. <laughs> you're near that. You're 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 just like a smidge to it. What's interesting is that like they keep like almost teasing us, almost blue balls, and us. We're like, okay, this is the moment where the fight's gonna break out. This is where the first punch is gonna be thrown. Oh my god! And then yeah. they're like, nope, nope, because we got a problem with the Hulk. We got to deal with now. Put put the fight on hold. Wouldn't that be interesting if all of Civil War Two, there's actually no fighting and no one actually comes to blows from the heroes team? 
Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if Civil War Two actually just turned into another World War Hulk? That would be, you know what? At that <laughs> point, be amazing. At that point, I would have to just like applaud Bendis. I'm like, good for you, man. Good for you for just <laughs> taking and running with it. He's just he's just like I'm going to steal it from the marketing teams and turn it into something completely different. <laughs> Look, if if anyone could do it, it would be Bendis because time and time again it's been proved Bendis don't give a shit about your continuity. Bendis, Bendis only care about his honey, continuity. Ba- honey badger. Honey Bendis don't give a fuck. <laughs> honey, oh my! How have I never thought of Honey Bendis before? That's Honey amazing. Bendis don't give a fuck. Oh my god! Fan art people draw Honey Bendis. Somebody, I really want Honey Bendis. Honey Bendis don't give a fuck. Oh hashtag Honey Bendis. That oh how see this is why we need that sea monster on the show. Matt and I in how many episodes we never once came up with Honey Bendis. That sea monster truly is a genius of puns and old memes. That's I, I bring the dankest memes, including this new one, Honey Bendis. Honey Bendis. That's Honey so Bendis, cool. don't give a fuck. Now, obviously, as with Civil War, we got our tie-ins and everything, and the big Civil War tie-in this week was Civil War X-Men from, uh, from Cullen Bunn. Uh, D- dodge that one, I guess. Here's the thing. I was so hyped for this new era of X-Men in All New, All Different. Then Apocalypse War came to try and tie in with that movie, and that <laughs> killed all my interest in it because they're all really poorly done stories. This Civil War one is a little bit better because it feels like this is a story they were they were going to tell anyway. It's the big... I don't want a little bit better. I want a good X-Men story, and I'm going to throw a tantrum like a toddler in a convenience store <laughs> until I get it. Hey, you know, at least Old Man Logan is good, and at least uh, the new Wolverine book is you know, good. You know what? Old Man Logan and Wolverine have almost always been solid. It's I mean, true. Wolverine's hit rough patches here and there, but it's always come back. I, I mentioned this last week. I used to hate the people who are like, oh, you know, I, I only, you know, I like X-Men, but I only read the Wolverine books. I'm like, no, come on, you gotta support the larger universe. Now I'm at the point where the larger universe books are kind of lame and not doing it, but Wolverine is continuing to kill it in both books. And that's why a lot of people stop reading X-Men and only read Wolverine, because it's just sometimes X-Men is fucking shitty. It's just crap. And you figure with the three ones they have, all new, uncanny, and extraordinary, you figure at least one of them would be good, but they've all fallen down the same apocalypse war hole. And I'm just like, I don't want... I mean, the premise, so good. They just get these premise that are really, really good, and then they fuck them up. The one that I feel like they executed really well was House of M, and I'm just Mm. waiting for something along the same lines to pop up again. I want a House of M in the X-Men universe. I don't think they should have done an Apocalypse movie. I think they should have done a a X-Men movie. Like, just a regular, like, oh my god, team uniting, unstoppable force. Mm. You know, we have team now, we are really the X-Men. Instead of this bull-fucking-shit you're blue. You're not blue anymore. You're not. I'm not blue anymore. Because I don't want to be you in the makeup like, chair. You look like people now, but we were blue and we were fighting against great evil. But now we're not. And you're going to go start a team with the new people. Now we're not going to be a team. Oh, now we're a team. Yep. That's... Really glad that worked out. Like instead of that fucking bullshit, we should have had like nice team. Okay, with modern X Men instead of. Apparently, Cyclops and Jubilee is plucked from the cartoon themselves without any costume or character design. And 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 then, sorry, I got mad and then I forgot. 
<laughs> we were talking about the Civil War thing. The, the- oh, and then they should have jumped, and then after that, they should have done really great House of M plot. That's in the the end. Wouldn't wouldn't that have been cool? Uh, the the Civil War story they're working up to what they've been working up to. I mean, since these new X Men books started, and that is the growing animosity between the Inhuman and mutant communities. Animosity? Many- <laughs> Who hates ants? <laughs> Everyone. Do you hate ants? Are you an ant hater, Joel? They, they ruin picnics. <laughs> God damn it. I said it. I will build a wall to keep the ants off my picnic. <laughs> you are the Trump of the ants. <laughs> Make this picnic great again. <laughs> I want you to wear a stupid hat that says make this picnic great again and then walk around with a picnic cloth that's just covered in ants. <laughs> hey, fan art community, get to work on that one while you're doing make honey Make this picnic great again. <laughs> Look, I got the best people working on this picnic, okay? You'll love the people I have working on making this picnic great. I'm going to be a carpenter ant that just comes in and fucks up your picnic. Like, just every once in a while, I'm just going to fuck up a picnic. <laughs> yes, the the animosity between Inhumans and Mutants. Magneto basically throws down the gauntlet and says, Well, look, Storm, if you've thrown in with the Inhumans and this future-seeing kid, I can't trust you anymore. You don't have the, you know, f- you know, you don't have the mutants in your best interest anymore. I declare full open war on the Inhumans now. Yep. And that's what end. he did. And he did that. He did that. That was a great idea. It's, well, it's not over yet. And, of course, they're already playing around with the idea where it's like, ooh, but what if what if one of Storm's mutants, what if one of the traditionally good mutants actually might Ugh. agree with Magneto and want to join his team? That ha- that has happened Numerous so times. many times. Yeah. Like, it happens all the time. I think it probably happens, like, a couple times a week. Heck, it's already happened. Uh, Monet and Psylocke are on his team, even though they don't totally agree with his methods, but they agree with what he's doing. And Storm okayed it. She's like, oh, okay, you go do that then, but also feed me information on the side about what he's doing. It's like voting in America, almost. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. A little bit, a little bit. So, yeah, that was that, that was X-Men. That was Civil War. I think they're going in an interesting direction. I will say this is the most excited to read an X-Men story I have been since Apocalypse War kicked off, so I'm interested to kind of be about it. Uh, Spider-Man was good this week, too. It was another team-up vehicle between him and uh, Iron Man fighting Regent. Deadpool was interesting. Deadpool was kind of like the prologue to his Civil War tie-in. love Derpool so much. Derpool is funny. What's yeah. uh, again? If you've been reading it out there, you'll know that uh, Deadpool created his own team, the Mercs for Money. Yes, and now they've turned against him because they see him getting all the credit and they're not getting any. So basically, Deadpool's going to have his own mini civil war within the pages of Civil War Two. I love it so much. I love how meta it always gets. And what what perfect timing too, because but, it's but already Mercs been announced that those guys are going to be getting their own solo series soon. So there you go. Fuck Mercs get money. Always, always. I, I like to get money. Do, freaking Cable was hilarious in this issue. They used Cable to hilarious effect in this newest issue. Yep, I appreciate. I appreciate that use of Cable because they've they've been doing a really good job with minor characters and Cable and all of that magic. I I'm excited to see Gang of Deadpool's. Mm, I'm yeah. really thrilled about that, especially since Gang of Harley's has been okay. I, I read the first issue that never kept up with it, which is weird because usually I'm all about Frank Terry and I'm all about that side of the universe. See, that's the thing is that the first issue really turned me off to it. But, you know, I got my rule of three. Of course. And I, I got to the end of the third one and I still wasn't totally sold. And now I'm going to get the fourth one and just be like, 
eh, I mean, I'm getting it because it's Harley, and I kind of want to see if it improves. And it's a mini, but, so I mean... Yeah, but it hasn't improved so much from the first to the third, which is unusual, I think. For, for me, it's like, you know, what... It's just I'm, weird. For me, oh. it was like, what stops any of this from just being a story in the main Harley Quinn book? Nothing. that, And that's why it feels so weird. It, is do, that it doesn't justify its own existence. No, it doesn't. It's trying to be a sort of a standalone Gang of Harleys little mini-series. Sort of, we can create spin-offs with these little gang characters that she's had, but none of the characters are flushed out or developed enough. And the Gang of Harleys spin-off, which is supposed to really flush out these characters for us and make it so that they can stand on their own, doesn't spend any time with them. Yeah. It spends only time on Harley. And I'm like... I get Harley's the star, but if you want a gang of Harley spinoff, then you're going to have to spend some time on the side characters. You're going to have to put some more. I think when Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor invented those characters, they didn't think they would catch on the way they did, or at least to have higher ups be like, no, 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 that's more merchandise we can make. Run with those. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I don't think they were expecting them, but it was the job of the spinoff to really develop them. And it didn't. You can blame Frank Terry for that, because Palmiotti and Connor are too busy working on Harley Quinn. They had to pass it off to one of their friends to go work on it. Well, yeah, and I I really, you know, I don't think it was a bad story in and of itself, but there was no real reason for me to care. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing when writing, I feel like, that... And it happens a lot in comic books, because you have... Such a short amount of time to really Absolutely. flesh out a whole plot and a whole bunch of characters. 22 pages plus ads. And with a spinoff, it's just hard. But I'll I'll keep buying the fourth. I'll buy the fourth one and I'll see if it improves. But so far, even after my three, I'm kind of like, eh. Now, uh, now I just looked at the clock right there and we've been talking for almost two hours. This is longer than a usual comic multiverse podcast, which is fine because I've been having a killer time. I, I, guess, I guess before we go, do you, have, uh, do you have one last book you want to talk about before we go? I think we hit all the big ones, but if you had yeah. another one you wanted to talk about. I, I've, I've got to get on my own show. Yeah, there you go. So I will then, in that case, I will thank you, uh, That Sea Monster, for joining us. It's been a ton of fun. I'm sure everyone in the comic multiverse universe enjoyed the hell out of this. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, be sure to tell everyone where they can find you and find your work and your comedy and all that other good stuff. Yay! Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at That Sea Monster, spelled with a C. And you can find me on YouTube at that at blah, 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 at Sea Monster Comics. I didn't botch that at all. I'll, I'll be sure if to link like, If you would like more stuttering over my own words, you can always find my comedy. I travel around to different conventions, so if you go to thatseamonster.com, spelled with a C, or Sea Monster Comics on YouTube, also spelled with a Z. Then you can find more updates on where I'll be performing. My next one coming up is going to be a burlesque show at Anime Expo called The Night Cafe, July 4th weekend. It's going to be awesome. We have some absolutely fabulous dancers that'll be joining us. I'll be leading you guys in hilarious drinking games and antics. And you can win fantastic prizes, including live shows, meet and greets, and one-on-ones with some of your favorite stars. That sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. So be sure to follow that sea monster and everything she just mentioned. As far as me, be sure to like, subscribe, favorite, comment, do all that social media jazz. If you want to support the show, you can find me over on the Cape Joel Patreon. You can follow me on Twitter, which is actually at Cape Joel now because I found out that you could change that in the settings. And ever since I changed it, I'm getting way more followers now. So thank you. 
So we have fun. So again, thank you. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us. This has been a blast. We will have to have you back in the future. And I know we were kicking around the idea that maybe maybe I'll make an appearance at some point in the future on, uh, on bedtime stories because I'm up that late anyway. Yeah. And I believe we had penciled you in for Friday on bedtime stories. We sure did. Maybe, maybe pizza. Maybe drinking games. Yeah. That's Magical. It'll be a lot of fun. So until next time, everyone, this has been Joel for the Comic Multiverse, and I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.